Championship Wrestling, number one in wrestling around the world, presents WCW Monday Nitro, and only on TNT, it is our number one of our two-hour Wiggly Spectacular. Hi, everyone, Tony Schiavone, along with the living legend, Larry Zabisco, and ladies and gentlemen, a couple of weeks ago at Bash of the Beach, we said it was the most important event in WCW history. There is no doubt about it. But tonight, here on Nitro, much the same. This could become, within the next two hours, the most revealing, the most shocking, and the most important event in WCW. We've been looking around because we know that later on here tonight, the outsiders will be here. Plus, Hulk Hogan will be here tonight, removed from the disparaging remarks he made recently at Bash of the Beach towards WCW, Larry. You know, I can't help but keep looking over my shoulder. You, we, we know what the disgusting event that took place. Question is, who's next, Tony? Who is Hulk Hogan and the Outsiders going to recruit into their, into their new world order? Who's next? That's the question that's on everybody's mind. We all had wondered if you'll Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, and my name is Tim Root. Last week, I just said, I'm your host, and then went on to introduce my broadcast colleague. So <laughs> you listen to only last week's show. You don't know who I am. <laughs> right. Uh, but I am joined, as always, by my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. Yeah, that'd be weird if you if you started with last week and just skipped Bash of the Beach. That would be strange. <laughs> It'd be a weird jumping on point. <laughs> it's just like, listen, I know what happens then. Let's just move on to Nitro and skip all the other 40 episodes beforehand. <laughs> Before we get into the show, remind you that you can find us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro, and of course you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today we are covering the 44th episode of Monday Nitro. It's July 15th, 1996, and we are live once again from Disney MGM Studios just outside Orlando, Florida. Now before we talk about this episode, uh, right Right as we released our last episode and everything was already kind of edited and put together, uh, there was the unfortunate passing of the all-time greatest wrestling manager, uh, the all-time best wrestling color commentator, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, so, you know, everything was kind of locked and loaded on that last episode, so we didn't address it. Talked a little bit about it on Twitter and uh, Facebook, but just wanted an opportunity to say that Bobby, you know... Uh, he legitimately was the greatest and uh he's one of the few people like i know a hundred percent that i would have said that before he died you know it's not like mm -hmm. he died and then he gets like he was a as good as people are saying now he was every bit just an amazing personality you know here in the in mini minnesota in the american wrestling association for like a long time the biggest draw in that uh, promotion was bobby's stable and seeing them kind of get their comeuppance and then he went on and did the same act in WWF with the weasel suit, mm -hmm. which was something that he owned and would bring to different promotions. Yeah. <laughs> he just, he knew how to get people to hate him. You know, was, he's a guy from Indianapolis billing himself as being from Beverly Hills. You know, he knew, mm -hmm. he just knew how to needle people, but in just an incredibly smart, engaging, funny person. Um, you know, he had bad health for a while, so it's, it's probably one of those things where 
you know, by this point, it's sort of a blessing that his suffering is over, but it just what a loss for the the wrestling world. Yeah, and he, I feel like he impacted, like, different generations of wrestling, too, because when I got into wrestling when I was really, really little, I mean, he was still doing commentary with Gorilla Monsoon for WWF. Right. And so, and and I, I mean, I've always said, in my opinion, that's my favorite tandem that's done co- uh, commentary. Absolutely. It's Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. I know some, uh, you know, people... People are going to take Jr. and King, certainly. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but Gordon to, Soli, but but I mean, to me, though, they were the the two that kind of like gave me my wrestling education in the first place. And, yeah, and it probably is a little bit hard to say someone replaces them. Mm-hmm. But then, then when we came to the point, which is like my middle school and high school years, when we have the Monday Night Wars, then he shows up again for WCW. Right, and in which, uh, I mean, I think it's pretty easy to say that he's been the highlight commentary wise so far for nitro yeah you know he certainly has a reputation for phoning in um a lot of wcw stuff and and i'm sure maybe to in the years to come we'll see that more mm-hmm. that has not really been the case for what we've seen in 1995 and 1996 bobby is as good here as he's ever been in my opinion yeah and and you know he understands a lot of aspects about how his role is supposed to be for pro wrestling like he know he knows to get the people over that are in the ring mm-hmm. he knows to he understands like how to continue on uh angles just by talking about them yeah you know he always brings up like these interesting aspects about you know like uh and we're we're gonna see a lot of it now with like the nwo right and the possibilities of other members and he's just really good at keeping that along and kind of building up sus- suspense since the NWO tends to not show up until later on in the show. Mm-hmm. So he kind of like kind of keeps the, the viewers really um, engaged, engaged. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and just as a, a programming note, I guess we will, we're not going to change uh, how we talk about the show. If Bobby says something stupid, we're still going to laugh about it. You know, he's, oh, yeah. he's out there talking for an hour at a time and some it's not all going to be gold and if something mm-hmm. funny happens we're, we're still going to laugh and i think uh you know that's sort of he he liked pointing out foibles and laughing at people and i don't think he would want uh to be treated any differently yeah no i mean i i i hadn't considered even approaching him any differently you know i i think we kind of set that from the beginning when we when we talked about like having chris benoit the chris benoit rule yeah <laughs> yeah where it's just like you know what we're just gonna we're gonna watch him and we're gonna take everything at face value as though we're, we're watching it at the time and not putting into try not to put too much into it like what happens in the future right so. absolutely well let's go now to sunny live orlando florida as we are about to get uh, nitro we've been told ahead of time as as um early as last week on nitro that hulk hogan will be on this show and there also is a bit of promotion uh, for this week's show on last week's Nitro that we missed. And it, I didn't notice until I was editing the show. Uh, Kevin Green is going to be on tonight's Nitro. And when I was watching this Nitro, I was I was like surprised that he just showed up. But then I was doing some work on that past episode in editing it and putting it together. And I was like, oh, they, they actually announced that he was going to be here. Oh, I just okay. I totally missed it. So it wasn't out of the blue as it seemed. Yeah, no, I, I, I missed that too. <laughs> Um, I also just wanted to point out, since we're at the uh, the beginning of the episode, uh, we still have the red and yellow Hulk Hogan in the intro. I have that in my notes as well. <laughs> it's it's kind of surprising, and I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye and see when they swap that for something else. Right. 
<laughs> just his promotion in theory, he's trying to destroy it. Right. <laughs> but and they're still like advertising him as much as possible. Tony Schiavone starts off our show with some of his standard hyperbole, stating that much like Bash at the Beach was one of the most important nights in the history of our sport, that so too tonight may go down as one of the most important and shocking events in history. <laughs> he says that the Outsiders will be here, as will Hogan. Larry uh, Zabisco is feeling paranoid these days, and he keeps wondering who will be recruited into the New World Order next. So now that we've got our third man, uh, they're already building the anticipation of who could possibly be that fourth man. Yeah, and I just want to say at this point um, in WCW, I feel like that's the most interesting part of the NWO storyline is the idea, because they've been talking for a while, like right. the possibility that there's a fourth man. And considering that the third man was from within, they also keep up like, is it going to be an outsider? Is it going to be this person that's from WCW? Yep. I think that angle is great. And the fact that uh, there's, there's like a strange amount of cohesiveness in this episode in which like the hour one and the hour two announcers keep up with the same stories. That's very true. And uh, and yeah, I, I just think that's a really interesting aspect is, is, this, is this kind of like underlying paranoia of... Uh, what, when's the next like shoe gonna drop basically Shivani tosses us to footage of Hogan's heel turn from uh, the pay-per-view now that we have uh, already got past the replay of the mm-hmm. pay-per-view yeah. they are free to show footage instead of still images yeah that's I noticed that too <laughs> I was like oh that's right it's next week so that's fine and something I wanted to point out a little bit is uh the whose side is he online is still in that replay so I don't think, you know, at the time it was maybe as big a deal as it's looked back on. Because eventually oh. when, w, when WWF would uh, put out that DVD, like before before the network, yeah, uh, there was a version of that that I think they put on like Classics on Demand where they edited that line out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what really started focusing people on whether it was a good or bad thing to say was sort of that choice. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I have a... Um can't remember if it's a best of Bash of the Beach or it's like a best of WSW. I have a DVD that has like the edited out, mm-hmm. and it's just. I mean, it, it, it. The weird thing is, it sounds kind of normal because yeah. like they 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 managed to cut out a lot of the other stuff that uh, Dusty Rhodes says too. So mm-hmm. it sounds like it makes sense, but it's just like. It, it, the revisionist history is just. It's like, an overreaction. Yeah, you know, it just. It's like trying to protect something that like everyone at that point knew <laughs> right. what happened. After the video plays, out comes Fire and Ice. When we last talked about these two, they were losing to the Rock and Roll Express on the Bash at the Beach pre-show and arguing about it afterward. <laughs> well, I would argue about losing to the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> Larry and Tony speculate on the future of the New World Order, with Larry repeating his belief that they are going to add more members. In a bit of unintentional, ominous foreshadowing, he says that the New World Order is going to get bigger and bigger. (laughs) It certainly will, Larry. (laughs) He says that maybe they'll add another outsider, or maybe the next person will come from within the ranks of WCW. Hogan has a lot of money, he says, and he can buy an army. Yep. They sort of, they they come back to that idea a a lot in the show, that he's got, uh, you know, all this money to throw around, that he's got all these connections in the entertainment industry that people are going to want to exploit. It's very cool blending of like uh, real, real reasons that someone would want to align with Hulk Hogan in, in a kayfabe sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, certainly now in 2017, but sort of always that WWF or WWE uh, that their focus has always been everything just within their 
little universe to use their parlance like yeah that everything is only about wwe here it's about he's got money he's got entertainment contracts he can get you a tv show he can get you a, you know it's mm-hmm. it feels very big hogan feels like a media a a pop culture personality and that part of why you would want to go with him has it's it's bigger than wcw in a lot of ways yeah and especially i mean since he's with hall and nash and that that hulk hogan you know built wwf and he has connections there still that means like well maybe his influence could bring like a big name from wwf you never know and yeah i think that's one of the big pluses of having hogan there is that he's such like in 96 he's like such a big like bigger than wrestling icon yeah. that if you would think like he could convince anyone like do you want to be on a in a stable with hulk hogan right like, yeah why would you not want to do that <laughs> Out next are the number one contenders for the WCW Tag Team Championship, the Steiner Brothers. Tony says that Hogan and the Outsiders are cheap shot artists who pick their moments carefully, and he points out that they're appearing on the show tonight, uh, which is a night when Sting, Ric Flair, Randy Macho Man Savage, and The Giant are not on the show. Uh, He doesn't say it, I, I don't believe, or at least I didn't catch it, but all of them are in Japan doing a short tour with uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, they mentioned that. Oh, they did. Okay. Yep. I, I, You know, they mentioned a few times that they're not on the show, but I never quite heard him say why. Uh, so this show is really relying on the intrigue of seeing the New World Order keeping viewers on the program. Because if you're, if you're kind of a, a casual-level WCW fan and you hear, like, Sting and Ric Flair mm-hmm. and the Giant and, and Randy, they're all off the show, that, that probably loses you a few people right off the bat there. And I also thought this... this St- that part of it is like a brilliant way of playing off the fact they're not there. Yeah. Of like, oh, that's why he waited till the next week. The NWO picks their spots. <laughs> yep. They're gonna show up when all the top guys are not there. I thought it was. Uh, I thought that was a brilliant way of playing that off. Lex Luger is the one person uh, who they sort of say, you know, he stood up to the NWO, and they sort of separate him from the rest of the pack who is still around, saying. You know, they, they keep saying, like, not to take anything away from guys like the Steiners, but, like, Lex mm. Luger is, like, the one guy here who can handle, like, a, an NWO uh, attack or whatever, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, but in my opinion, I'd be like, I feel like the Steiner brothers would be a pretty good option. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> well, the Steiner brothers uh, are fit at least to take on uh, Fire and Ice, and here to call all the action is our own Bobson Dugnut. <laughs> Thank you, Sleeve McDykel. <laughs> yeah, check check uh, Twitter if you want to see what the <laughs> fuck we're calling each other here. <laughs> this match starts off with both Scots in the ring, which is exactly the combo I want to see out of this match. Yes. At almost all times. Uh, a collar and elbow tie-up heads to the corner, where a hip toss by Steiner is countered by one from Norton. A second collar and elbow into the corner, and Norton gains the advantage with a very blatant eye gouging. After a couple of knees to the guts... Uh, to Steiner's gut, Norton snapmares him to the mat. Norton kicks him the man while he's down as Larry Zabisco nearly calls Ice Train ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I missed that. <laughs> I was too focused on uh, the front row tonight is uh, like the hard camera front row is yeah. all hilarious. There's like these this very 90s family 
where the woman is wearing like the most this very 90s get up she's and she's up and out of her chair every other fucking second mm-hmm. but they have coolers with them yeah and i'm just like i can't believe you could just bring a cooler into the show that's so <laughs> just what a different time yeah uh and then there's like these old ladies a little ways down that are like very animated throughout the show they really don't like the four horsemen <laughs> and they they really think that holding their their four symbol upside down is like just this huge insult like they're really gonna try to get under arn anderson's skin later doing it yeah the whole front row is just um, incredible on this show yeah i saw a few times where they're like i think he's looking at me now now i'll do the four finger thing (laughs) they really think that they're getting him that just gotta throw him (laughs) off uh whip off the ropes and norton drives scott steiner's face into the mat this is the point which they reminded us that kevin green was here he's here somewhere right Norton keeps on the offensive, methodically grounding Scott Steiner with kicks and chokes. A whip into the opposite corner gives Steiner the opening he needs as he puts a boot to Norton's face before dropping him with a clothesline. All right, and then we get to the part where I was uh, that I was looking forward to is people getting suplex all over the place. Yes, <laughs> yeah, when you see this lineup on paper, that's exactly what you want. Yeah, so Steiner nails an overhead belly-to-belly suplex, which sends Norton to the floor. Uh, Ice Train is tagged in as we go to break. My prediction, when we come back, Rick will be in the ring, too. (laughs) When we come back, Rick's in the ring, too. Oh, (laughs) you did it. (laughs) Ice Train with a chin lock on the dog-faced gremlin when we return. While Rick applies a headlock of his own, we see a stylish Teddy Long walking down to ringside. Yeah, there's really no, like, I guess he's maybe scouting them. Um, but it's really not explained. He just comes out and looks. and mm-hmm. I, You know, he's the manager for babyface black guys. So oh, nice. I guess if these two are breaking up, he wants to like make sure he's got Ice Train in his stable of I, genial African-American men. Right. I, I think it's obvious he's not here for the Steiners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Ice Train whips Rick into the ropes and hits a, a beautiful scoop power slam. Rick uh, recovers the hit Ice Train with an over overhead belly-to-belly suplex of his own. Only he does a variation of nearly dropping train right on his head. Yeah. <laughs> that only gets him a two count, though. A body slam and an elbow drop by Rick also only gets a two. Undeterred, Rick hits, of all things, a reverse DDT, which I've noticed in the last few months just has seemed to pop up in a lot of wrestlers' repertoire. I don't know if it's, like, from a recent tour in Japan or something like that, but a lot yeah. of guys seem to be using it now. Hmm. But this... They all went to the same workshop. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, look at that. Oh, oh, I could do that, too. Uh, this, however, only gets a two count as well. And now we get the Scots back in the ring, and Norrin quickly pitches Scotty to the outside, Scotty Steiner. He follows with a double axe handle from the ring apron. Back in the ring, Norton tries for an elbow drop from the second rope, but Scott gets a boot up before tagging Rick back in. By the way, at this point, I, we pointed it out before that uh, it's really, really hot wrestling out in, oh yeah and norton looks like he's really struggling yeah he is sweating profusely after a back body drop and scoop slam rick's cover is broken up by ice train and then the two hit a double shoulder block on rick and so scott norton holds rick down on the mat for ice train to splash him but rick now rick moves apparently pulling norton in harm's way and the whole thing was really really silly um, as Tony correctly says, Norton is a legal man. Right. Rick grabs Ice Train for what Scott Steiner thinks is a double team maneuver, but Rick hits a German suplex instead. 
He doesn't man, he doesn't hold the German suplex and then just kind of awkwardly rolls onto Ice Train and gets the three count. Yeah, he pins the non-legal man. Mm-hmm. Um, Shivani points that out. Yeah, he's like he's not legal, but eh, you know. Yeah, we're going to allow this. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. So the last like ten to fifteen seconds was a mess. Yeah. The uh, the missed splash that hit Norton instead was like it's dumb. It was it was stupid. It was stupid. But also during the match, Tony has to find a way to plug the fact that TBS is showing Mister Nanny. It's the, oh, uh, it's yeah. the like the television premiere of Mister Nanny, mm-hmm. and he wants to hype it because that's his job. And Turner, you know, they need ratings. Uh, but he has to also hate Hulk Hogan. So he's trying yeah. to like hype the show, but also saying that Hogan, uh, you know, went and complained in his promo at Bash at the Beach about how Turner was supposed to do all this stuff for him, and he never did. And he's like, well, what about the fact that TBS is showing Mr. Nanny? <laughs> and then he points out, like, and they put Thunder in Paradise before Nitro. And he doesn't quite say it, but just in the, the way he says it, you could tell, like, Thunder in Paradise sucks, and everybody knows it. He's right. like, we put that shit on for Hogan. Yeah. What the fuck does he want? And then I like how uh, Larry Zabisco kind of paints him in the corner. Is like, well, if we don't like him, why don't we just not air it? <laughs> and Tony's like, uh. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm not the program director. I don't know what to tell you. Right. God damn it, Larry. <laughs> Ice Train immediately no-sells the finish, popping up to his feet the second the bell rings. Yeah. Uh, Norton also gets to a knee. And Train checks on Norton as the Steiners celebrate. We then go to Mean Gene Okerlund, who's in the entrance aisle, along with Big Bubba, Jimmy Hart, and Kevin Sullivan. All right, I thank you very much, uh, Tony Schiavone. Standing with me right now, members of the Dungeon of Doom, Jimmy Hart, Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster. I was looking for the faces of fear, but apparently things are a little upside down like they seem to be these days here in World Championship Wrestling. We're all watching our back. You know... Jimmy Hart and myself in the dungeon lived for the end of Hulkamania. We didn't know that Hulk Hogan was going to walk in here and try to take WCW over. Well, Jimmy Hart has a plan. Jimmy Hart, what might that plan be? You know, Mean Gene, the Taskmaster said, you know, Jimmy Hart, whatever it takes, Whatever it takes to destroy the four horsemen, we're going to get it done. If it takes money, we've got it. If I have to go out and recruit every professional athlete in the world to put into the dungeon, this is going to be our year. Four horsemen, it's over. All right, the big bubble, we're going to see you in action a little bit later on here tonight. Lex, don't worry about Sting. Don't worry about the outsiders. Don't worry about Hulk Hogan. You better focus all your attentions on Big Bubba Rogers. The commission doctors have already said that you've got a concussion, a detached retina. I'm going to put you to sleep permanently tonight on Monday Nitro. You can count on it, punk. What happened to the Johnny come lately? Well, they were getting them taken care of our back. I just want to say one thing to Chris Benoit. If anybody saw the pay-per-view, Benoit, you got too personal with me now. I'd say a bathroom is kind of personal. What Thank you very mean? much. Something's going on with Fire and Ice. Stay tuned. More Nitro live here from Orlando. Don't go away. Gene says that he expected the faces of fear to be with them before prompting Sullivan uh, with whatever, you know, just general question he gives. Right. So that Sullivan humor <laughs> promo. How is it going, Kevin? <laughs> Sullivan says the Dungeon of Doom had been working on the destruction of Hulk Hogan, not knowing Hulk Hogan had his own plan to take over. But, says Sullivan, Jimmy Hart has a plan of his own. As Hart begins his promo, Fire and Ice walk by on their way to the back in the middle of a heated argument. Mm -hmm. 
uh, that briefly distracts the dungeon. It's, yes. I mean, it's fun. It's like it makes sense. It's right. just funny to see because you don't normally see that in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Just these the slight intersection of these two totally unrelated stories happening. Yeah, and it it makes Kevin Sullivan look extremely tiny when those two guys walk right by <laughs> yes, him. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Hart's plan is apparently to use the unlimited funds promised to him by the Taskmaster to recruit a bunch of athletes to destroy the Four Horsemen. I don't know what the connection that has to do with Hulk Hogan, because that's how it started. <laughs> he was like, we had a plan to destroy Hulkamania. Hulk Hogan had his own plan, but Jimmy Hart has his own plan, and then Jimmy Hart's plan has nothing to do with any of that right. at all. <laughs> As Big Bubba starts addressing Lex Luger, who he will be facing later, the faces of fear, Meng and the Barbarian, suddenly appear. I guess they just totally missed their cue to be out there with their faction. That was the impression I got, too. <laughs> and and Mean Gene must have been annoyed enough about it to point it out <laughs> on the air. <laughs> it's funny because they, they're in no way necessary to this promo. So, like, it it's right. not like he was like, oh, shit, what are we going to do? Like, they, didn't, they weren't needed at all. Yeah. He's just pissed that they weren't where they're supposed to be. <laughs> right. Bubba warns Lex that Lex better forget about all the distractions like the Outsiders and Hogan and focus all of his attention on Bubba. Apparently, the doctors have said that Lex has a concussion and a detached retina, and tonight Bubba promises to, quote, put Luger to sleep permanently. Ooh. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) I miss that because I really kind of, like, uh, blanked out when (laughs) Bubba started talking. Okerlund isn't so much worried about a concussed athlete being murdered on the show tonight as he is with telling Sullivan that he's annoyed that the faces of fear are late for the promo. (laughs) (laughs) Sullivan just says they were taking care of the dungeons uh, back before going on to address Chris Benoit. Sullivan warns Benoit that at the pay-per-view, Benoit got, quote, too personal with him, Hmm. which I assume is an allusion to the deal where, like, woman came out and tried to separate him. Right. Uh, so I think they're really trying to work, you know, the 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 smarks who know the kind of backstage stuff here. Gene, however, decides to interpret it a different way and goes back two pay-per-views to the Great American Bash and says, well, yeah, I'd say the bathroom is quite personal. <laughs> right. Uh, so what do you what do you think of this kind of storyline in general where it's for a very small portion of the audience to, like, understand most of what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It, I mean, this also, I mean, this seemed like a feud that pretty uh, soundly, this is another one that seemed like it soundly ended with that false Count Anywhere right. match where Benoit beat him. It's like, I felt like that was, this feud's been addressed already. Yeah, it's going to go on, I believe, for like quite a while. Yeah, but they allude to it so little that I think it's hard to like really get in emotionally invested into yeah, the oh idea. Yeah, yeah. Because like we saw the one appearance by a woman pleading for Benoit not to do it. That's it. I mean, that's the only thing. And and uh, ben, and Sullivan barely refers to it or like doesn't mention yeah. her or anything like that. So yeah, it's. I mean, that's very very. I know. I I kind of laugh at Sullivan sometimes for being thinking he's being subtle when he's being very obvious. Mm-hmm. But just saying, last time you got too personal. Yeah, it was real. That really like kind of flies under the radar even for i think some people who do read dirt sheets Mm -hmm. so it's just like if it's that subtle and it's that much you got to read all this backstage stuff which also wrestlers are going on the air sometimes and telling you you're an idiot if you read the dirt sheets right so then (laughs) making a storyline for the dirt sheet i just like i'm (laughs) it's just a thing that really kind of confuses me about i think this era of wrestling it seems like nowadays they're more just like, we just don't acknowledge the dirt sheets in any way. We're not going to like 
you know, John Cena is not going to suddenly cut a promo on Dave Meltzer mm-hmm. and be like, observe this. This is a rag sheet. You know, that's never going to happen now. Right. Or or if they're talking about something that's in reality, like, you know, John Cena is dating Nikki Bella. They just like there's like, yeah, they're dating. Right. You know, and not this sort of like, yeah, you know who I hang out with after the show. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I'm not, I mean, I, I don't exactly remember how this feud like escalates or how it continues. Right. But right now it's just like, there's, it's like such a, like a subtle reference. That's really hard to be like, Oh yeah, I'm really interested in where that's going. And if you're, if you're just a casual level fan, like you have to wonder, I know these guys hate each other, but why do they hate each other this much? Like, why is this such a blood feud? It's going to be very confusing. (laughs) Uh, we then go to commercial with a little bumper promo from a hungover-looking Dean Malenko. Yes, <laughs> sir. <laughs> I don't know if he is or if it's just his demeanor all the time. I but. think it's his demeanor, but he has like like the severe five o'clock shadow. <laughs> yeah, and he looks like like he's doing this before he goes to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Dean Woodley says that tonight is the first step in getting back his cruiserweight title, and he tells his opponent. Billy Kidman that he picked the wrong night to step into the ring with the man of a thousand holds. Mm-hmm. Then Dave, we find out that holy shit, our world is about to change. What? I know. <laughs> uh, they they've not mentioned this previously, certainly not 10 dozen times over the last <laughs> fucking 5 months. Right. I mean, some of it is because we've gone through some breaks, so this has been stretched out over like our time period, but they it's been so long that yeah. they've been telling us our world. I think it was was it Scott Hall's debut episode where the first one played? So that would, if if that's right, it'd be May twenty seventh. Yeah, I know. I feel like it played at that point. I don't even know if it was even earlier. Maybe, than that. but even if we say okay, we know for sure that it was as at, at least as of May twenty seventh. So, you know, that week of May, all of June, and now two weeks into July, mm-hmm. and and they told us it would be in July, and then noticeably removed right. <laughs> that line. Yeah, and oh, not boy. only did they remove that, now we're like halfway through July. And they're just like alluding to it still. We come back from a commercial and we're in the most random area backstage <laughs> at Disney MG. It looks like like where your dad keeps the lawnmower and like, yeah. you know, some firewood. It's just this mm-hmm. weird little backstage area. And Gene stands alongside Fire and Ice. Lock it in, ladies and gentlemen. We're back with more WCW Monday Nitro Live from Orlando. There seems to be... A little conflict here between Fire and Ice, Scott Norton. When I put this tag team together, we're going to get titles and championship shots. But now we got the greatest tag teams in the world beat, and you do something to screw it up. Wait a minute, number one, I do things within the rules, okay? There's a way we can do things, okay? There can be some good Teddy Long. Hey, I'm, I'm not out here to get in your business, and I'm not out here to get in your business. But I've got one thing to say. I think you two make a great tag team, and I just don't want to see you two break up. That's all. Hey, 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 wait a minute, sir. I'll tell you something. It started with us, and it's going to end with us. You keep him out of my business. And it's going to end sooner than you think, Scott Norton. We will do it. I can't believe yeah, this, ladies and gentlemen. Just a you second. One of the premier tag teams. Fire and Ice, there seems to be a little... It, brother. Well, there's a difference we of it, opinion. Let's get you back to the ring. Is he okay? Good Lord. Norton says that when they formed this team, they were going to get titles and championship shots. It's kind of funny to put titles first and then championship shots as the second thing. Right. <laughs> you we're going to get titles or at least <laughs> championship shots. <laughs> But now they've got one of the best teams in the world nearly beat, 
and Ice Train had to screw it all up. <laughs> Ice Train protests and says that he does things within the rules, which is weird because at no point in that match did Norton, like, cheat to win. Right. And, like, or Ice Train refused to cheat. That just wasn't a part of what happened. Uh, it's such a strange thing to say. The closest they went to breaking the rules is that they were doing double teams, in which they both agreed to do that. Yeah, yeah. Norton, uh, uh, Ice that, Train was the one who came into the ring illegally and started doing stuff. That's when they were the most cohesive. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, Teddy Long interjects himself into the argument for no reason. Right. Teddy says that he doesn't want to get into their business, although if he didn't want to get into their business, he would just go to his dressing room and <laughs> shut the fuck up. But he thinks they're a great team, and he doesn't want to see them break up. Norton grabs him by the face and yes. shoves him to the ground. Yeah, he de it's definitely by the face. This angers Ice Train, who tells Norton that they're going to have a match together sooner than Norton thinks. As Gene wraps up the segment, he refers to Fire and Ice, who I don't think we've seen ever win a match as one of the premier tag teams. <laughs> so presumably uh, they're broken up, although I'll give you a little spoiler alert and tell you that they actually team together on Saturday night this coming weekend. Oh. Uh, so this is not actually the final nail in the coffin for Fire and Ice, but it is coming. It is round the bend. There's also that weird moment at the end when um, when Gene Oakland's kind of like wrapping up what they saw yeah. and getting to the ring and Ice Train's just yelling over him the whole time. Yeah. And they both seem like they're unwilling to stop for the other one. It just goes on for like 10 seconds, <laughs> I feel like. It's just, it's just kind of goofy. Back to the ring where Billy Kidman, every bit the bland vanilla babyface, comes to the ring slapping hands. When Malenko comes through the curtain, he's got company, as Jimmy Hart is with him, animatedly imploring for him to do something, presumably join the dungeon's quest to destroy the four horsemen, which will somehow help destroy Hulkamania or the New <laughs> World Order or something. I feel like Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan are on two different pages right now. <laughs> or they're just operating on a higher level than the rest of us. Oh, that, like that three-dimensional chess <laughs> thing? Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> don't, don't get I don't want to go down that path. As Dean tells the camera that it's a good day to be Dean Malenko and a bad day for the four horsemen, he warns Chris Benoit in particular to pay attention. Tony tells us that Dean and Benoit will face each other at Hog Wild, and that is an exciting match that I would like to see, but why announce it like this? Just this offhanded thing as he's coming to the ring. Why not instead have Jimmy Hart convince Malenko to take the match or pay him off or something? Yeah. Like, it, that is almost the storyline, but then it's not the storyline at all, and matches are just made randomly by, like, yeah, they, Gene Okerlund in the control they center. Were, yeah, they were very, very close to doing it right. And then it was like... Oh, I mean, Jimmy Hart talked to him. It's like, yes, and he convinced him. Oh, no, he didn't convince him, but they're still having the match anyway. And if if Malenko and Benoit already have a match, what does Jimmy Hart need to beg Malenko to do? Like, Just, hey, in that match, try really hard. <laughs> or, or, like, grab a tire iron and bash his knee in while you're at it. This is it, It's been a problem, I think, since we started our show that WCW always announces their pay-per-view matches really inorganically, mm -hmm. and then they race to, like, fill in the story after the fact. Yeah. And it causes... It just... It never feels very natural, the reason why these guys are having pay-per-view matches. Mm -hmm. What's also weird is that, according to Tony, fans, quote, probably already know about that match at the pay-per-view, although I've never heard mention about it <laughs> at all. Right. And he I, says that they've talked about it previously, but I don't believe that's true. <laughs> I call bullshit on that. <laughs> I mean, especially since a lot of fans I tend to think would just be watching Nitro, and I'm pretty sure they didn't mention last week, 
and they're just mentioning it now at this moment. Right. So. All right. Well, here to call all the action of Dean Malenko versus Billy Kidman is our own Carl Dandleton. <laughs> okay. So the match opens with Dean putting out a hand in uh, sign of sportsmanship. And, oh, Billy Kidman, so naive. <laughs> you he, fool. He takes it and is level with a short arm clothesline. I whip off the ropes, and Dean dropkicks Kimmen out of the ring and is quick to follow him to the floor. By the way, I noticed when Dean Malenko came out, he's clean-shaven now. Yeah. It makes it really <laughs> obvious that he recorded that some other time. <laughs> Dean attempts to pile-drive Kimmen on the floor, but uh, Billy backdrops him instead. So Dean's kind of going for, like, a very vicious approach right away. He is pulling no punches he like mm -hmm. he's a, a man with a purpose in this match and his purpose is squashing the fuck out of <laughs> billy kidman right I, I like the idea of of dean like becoming super aggressive because he's like oh maybe i was like taking these guys too lightly and that's why i lost my championship right back in the ring kidman hits a missile drop kick that only gets a long two count he then hits a, a released german suplex and that only gets one count uh, the two men grapple on their feet before Dean gets gains advantage with a knee to the gut. Yeah, they they do like a um, they're like doing what the standing switch thing that they like to call. Yeah, and then he knees him, mm -hmm. and uh, Tony goes, Kidman spun around two times and nailed him into a gut. <laughs> Tony has a way with words. <laughs> uh, Dean picks up and slams Kidman with ease before applying a leg lock, which. I think one of the things that you can underestimate about Dean Malenko is he's really strong. Because sure. Kimmin, Kimmin's relatively his size, mm -hmm. and he body slams him with ease. Absolutely. Like, there was no problem. Malenko continues to work on the leg as Tony Giovanni talks about the Dungeon of Doom for a while. <laughs> a Malenko body slam is reversed in what was supposed to be a sunset flip, but then Kimmin got one of his legs basically caught underneath Dean, and, uh, and Dean had to find a way to kind of like improvise so he decides to sell that he got kicked in the balls right <laughs> so it, it was a little bit of a mix mix up but it seemed like dean did what he could with it anyway after that mess kimmy comes off the ropes and dean hits him with a tilt to world slam for two after a side suplex dean drags kim into the nearest ring post and slams his leg against it dean kicks the knee some more before uh pressing a boot across kim's throat an Irish whip to the far corner is reversed by Kimmon, and the two combatants trade off pinning combinations, neither one securing the victory. Now Kimmon's on the offensive as he gets uh, he gets on a headlock. Oh, yeah, he gets a headlock, run, like, runs up the corner, and hits a really nice bulldog on the man of a thousand holds. I always like to point out the good bulldogs because he actually held on to the bulldog. Right. Um, however, he decides to go for a nonchalant cover, and that gets him a zero count. And Larry, I don't even think rips him for it. Like that's that's one of Larry's bread and butter. Yeah, is ripping on how you've got a pin or like what hold you've got locked in, whatever mm. can make him look smarter. Yeah. than the guy in the ring. And it seems like Kidman would be the kind of person he'd pick on. Too. Oh, totally. <laughs> so he must be on like some other world of his. Uh, Malenko is still reeling from the bulldog, so Kidman slams him in the by the corner and climbs to the top, and he uh, he goes for a shooting star press and misses which Tony called a backflip. Yeah, he calls it a backflip or some kind of reverse somersault. Right. <laughs> so clearly he has no idea what this move is. Uh, I didn't I didn't even remember that we got to see a shooting star press like this early. Like yeah, yeah, I so, was surprised as well. Um, and it might not even have a name. I mean, I it probably does, but... Right, yeah. I don't, 
I don't know. It, yeah. Like you said, I mean, Tony had no idea what to call it. So as far as we know, we don't know what they're calling at that point either. Um, so after he misses shooting star press, Demon Linko shows off a very dominant display. First, he hits Kidman with a brain buster, picks him right back up, hits a power bomb. Yeah. Picks him right back up. It hits a double underhook power bomb and immediately floats over into a Texas Cloverleaf that he just like re like gets back on it. You know how it's like how Jericho used to do the walls of Jericho. Yeah. When he would just kind of like stand on his back. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he does that with a Cloverleaf and Kimmin, Kimmin's quick to tap out and uh, Dean Malenko gets a victory with what I feel is like one of the coolest series for like a finish I've seen. It was just Dean Malenko being like, I'm going to hit like four finishers on you. You're not going to stand a chance now. Yeah. Malenko looks like a beast in this match. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's clear that they're, they don't want him to lose anything coming off that uh, cruiserweight title loss to Mysterio. Yeah. He's still definitely going to be booked very strong if this is <laughs> any indication. Yeah. But no, I I mean that, that sequence at the end, like how quickly and how crisply he did it. It just looks awesome. <laughs> yeah. This is a, you know, a little five minute, uh, little more than a squash match, uh, mm-hmm. and it was great. I really liked it. I thought it was a good match. We get some replays before going to Mean Gene, who is joined by Kevin Green, who will, of course, be starting the NFL season, I think, next week? He'll go to minicamp? He's going on Thursday. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's a few days b- before minicamp here. Which, uh, which, by the way, if you're a person that is just listening to the podcast but need a reason to actually watch this episode... You should to see his Panthers polo shirt. <laughs> it's it's amazing, good. and it's like way, way 90s. <laughs> when we last saw Kevin Green, especially, sorry, but because the Panthers' whole color scheme and design is very 90s, Yeah, every expansion team in the 90s was just like, we have to be as 90s as the Marlins. <laughs> just right. like they all use that like neon teal blue kind of thing. Yeah. That was the color of expansion teams. <laughs> right. When last we saw Kevin Green, it was the night after Great American Bash, and he was suggesting some sort of future four-on-four match between the four horsemen and himself, along with three undetermined teammates. Thank you very much, Tony. I should remind you, Hogwild coming up on Saturday, August the 10th from Sturgis, South Dakota. I can hardly wait for that. The NFL season is right around the corner, and all-pro outside linebacker now with the Carolina Panthers, Kevin Green. Welcome to Nitro. Good to be here, Mean Gene. I tell you what. I tell you what, I am upset like everybody is. Everybody. Everybody about Hulk Hogan. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Unbelievable how he has stabbed all the little Hulkamaniacs in the back. Everything he's preached at over the years, I've done. I've taken my vitamins. I've said my prayers. I've worked out hard. And, and I've become an all-pro in the NFL. And then I find out he doesn't believe a thing that he was preaching. He had to be a hero of yours when you were a kid. He was a hero. I looked up to him. Heck, I was a hokomaniac. And then he stabbed everybody in the back. Unbelievable. Speaking of backstabbers, Kevin Green, I'm talking about you-know-who. Absolutely. And that's the main reason why I'm here. I'm looking for Mongo McMichael. I don't want to wait till after the training, ca- after training camp's over, after the season's completed. I want to finish this tonight, right now. Wherever Mongo McMichael is, let it be known. Come to this ring right now, and I'm taking you down hard. I don't want to wait any longer. I understand you've got a plane to catch. How are you going to be able to do that? Hey, I've got about two hours before this plane gets here, but I'm going to be hanging around backstage. You see Mongo, you send him to me, baby. I'm looking for him. If I see him, Kevin Green, believe me, I'll send him straight to you. Whoa, he's ready. You know, that training camp gets people a little crazy, 
And that's going to start when, Thursday? Absolutely. I'll be ready. All right. Stay tuned. We have got more Nitro. We're live from Orlando at Disney MDN. Lock it in. Green cuts a promo on Hulk Hogan, lamenting that he did everything Hogan preached, the training, the prayers, the vitamins, and he became an all-pro defensive lineman. But it turns out that Hogan didn't believe anything he was saying. My rebuttal to that is, so what? <laughs> like, you became an all-pro millionaire athlete, right? You're very rich and famous <laughs> and successful. Like, who gives a shit if the guy you were listening to had bad motivation? <laughs> N nothing in your life turned out bad. <laughs> I tamed all the right things, but maybe for the wrong reasons. <laughs> Gene says that Hogan must have been a hero to Green when Green was a kid. Hulk Hogan is nine years older than Kevin Green, so Okerlund just accidentally made Hulkster seem way older than he <laughs> right. already is. Even if Green, I, I actually like did a little math, even if Green latched onto Hogan right in the the minute he started making it big in the AWA, that mm -hmm. would have been, uh, Green would have been 18 years old already by the time that happened. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the time Hulkamania swept the globe in like 1986 or so, mm -hmm. Kevin Green was in the NFL playing for the Rams. <laughs> So he was not a hero to young boy Kevin Green. <laughs> Speaking of backstabbers, Gene prompts Green for comment on Mongo. Green says that he came here looking for Mongo. He doesn't want to wait for training camp to be over or for the season to be over. He wants to hunt Mongo down tonight and finish this thing. Gene then promises we'll have more after the break live from Disney, quote, MDN. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> As we go to commercial, we get a promo from Harlem Heat, and I'm honestly not clear 100% on what they said, but it sounds like they're mad at uh, Colonel Robert Parker. Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch a lot of that either. It sounds like they're going to be facing a team called Rough and Ready, and they're very mad at Robert Parker about it for some reason. Uh, we'll find out next. All right. Wow! This WCW magazine is really cool. And the August issue, is blood really thicker than water? Find out when the Steiner Brothers tell it all. Plus, revealing secrets about the big man. And collectible photos from Slamboree and the Great American Bash. Man, where do they get this stuff? Get your copy now on newsstands everywhere. When we come back from commercial, out comes the team of Rough and Ready. This team is made up of Dirty Dick Slater and Mike Enos who has apparently already dropped the Mauler gimmick that we saw in his only other Nitro appearance back when his match against Steve Dahl was interrupted by Scott Hall's uh, debut. Yeah, I, re I remember that uh, that match was surprisingly entertaining up until the point. Yeah, he hit a second rope fallaway slam that I remember really uh, liking yeah. in that match. Yeah, because he did it right before Scott Hall, yep. master of the fallaway slam, showed up. And then he was the one who looked all pissed that his match was ending like this. Yeah. Uh, he started teaming with Dick Slater as Rough and Ready in mid-June, and the team has had a couple Saturday Night appearances to their name and made a handful of and had a handful of matches on WCW Worldwide. Uh, this roster seems to be made up of about a thousand guys. Yeah, like mm -hmm. it just seems like every Nitro you'll find out there's a new tag team you've never heard of, mm -hmm. or a guy who's on Worldwide every week that you've just not seen until now. Yeah. So so what do we know what happened to Bunkhouse Buck? Why is he not teaming with Dick Slater anymore? Uh, he was released. I don't remember why. Oh, okay. Um, but it was quite a while ago. Oh, okay. Uh, when I say this roster is made up of a thousand guys, it's a thousand guys like Dick Slater, who has appeared in many dark matches before Nitro broadcasts, but has never actually been on the show. 
He has been on the periphery of our podcast as he appeared in the World War III Battle Royal last year. He was in the Battle Bowl at Slamboree a few months ago where he teamed with Robert Eaton and they actually made it to the final Battle Royal where Diamond Dallas Page won the non-prestigious non-title of Lord of the Ring. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that he also appeared uh, with Colonel Robert Parker and Sister Sherry in the wedding segments back at the Clash of the Champions bonus episode that we did in Mm -hmm. January of 96. And taking it all the way back to the first Nitro, it was Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slayer that I saw wrestle before the Nitro began. Yeah, they, at the beginning of it, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Okay. Richard Van Slater was born in 1951, making him 45 years old here, uh, and he looks every bit of those 45 years. That's correct, yes. I'm going to spoil things a bit and say that he'll only have one more appearance on Nitro, and by the end of 1996, he will sustain a back injury and permanently retire. Oh. Uh, and I, I spoil that to say I'm going to breeze through his bio a little more than I normally do. Oh, sure. Uh, he was a high school amateur wrestler who teamed with fellow pro wrestler Mike Graham. He went to the University of Tampa along with Paul Orndorff. He began his pro career in 1972 and wrestled all over uh, championship wrestling from Florida, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Mid-Atlantic, Mid-South, and the WWF, uh-huh. uh, where he wrestled as a Southern Rebel babyface in 1987. He also wrestled in the AWA before joining WCW in 1987, where he has been ever since. In that time, he's won many championships, including the NWA's United States Championship and television title. He eventually began teaming with Bunkhouse Buck, and the two won the WCW Tag Team Championships from Harlem Heat on an edition of Saturday Night that aired almost exactly one year before this episode that we're reviewing now. Ah. The deciding factor in that match was interference from Buck and Slater's manager, Colonel Robert Parker. What the... The team of Slater and Buck were the WCW Tag Team Champions when our timeline started back at the debut of Monday Nitro in September of last year. But they lost the titles back to Harlem Heat at Fall Brawl, the very first pay-per-view that falls within the period that we're covering. Mm -hmm. Parker also ditched that team due to his love of Sherry, then the Heat's manager. When Slater started teaming with Enos, apparently Parker started managing the pair and the past was forgiven, uh, though a segment on Saturday night that aired two nights before this featuring a confrontation between Harlem Heat and Rough and Ready in which both teams expressed skepticism of Parker's loyalty, with Slater's (laughs) primary issue being the presence of Sherry. (laughs) Listen, we both hate each other, but we both agree we have the same manager and we don't trust him. Yeah, and Parker's (laughs) sort of um, very fine line distinction here is that he is the promoter of Harlem Heat, and he is the manager of Rough and Ready. Oh. It's not a conflict of interest to him because Sherry is the manager of Harlem Heat. He's just He just promotes them, whatever that means. Okay. Uh, the fact that Sherry is his girlfriend doesn't seem to bother him in this. It's, <laughs> it's all very strange. Yeah, so like you were saying, there's like a thousand wrestlers on this roster, but five managers. <laughs> yeah. Because like every tag team's been managed by like, One of three different managers. As they make their way to the ring, Tony talks up the emotion of Hulk Hogan returning from Hollywood under a heavy cloud of his recent betrayal. Larry wishes that Hulk Hogan had stayed out there, but says, let's face it, Hogan makes Arnold Schwarzenegger look like Sir Lawrence Olivier. Yikes. I was kind of surprised by that because I didn't think that, you know, it's sort of like you're not allowed to point out that he's bald. I don't think you're allowed to point out like Thunder in Paradise wasn't successful. And I don't think you should be allowed to point or not should be but i'd be surprised if larry was supposed to be like he's a bad actor whose movies don't do well <laughs> right 
but yeah, I was like, wow, that's, it seems like there might be like something personal behind <laughs> that. Cause that was like, that's a pretty severe, that's a pretty, it's sev- a burn. Yeah. Parker accompanies them to the ring, but then makes his way back to the entrance area so he can accompany the defending tag team champions, Harlem Heat, who come out with Sister Sherry, who is wearing a red dress to match the Heat's gear. We talked last week about the odd heel versus heel and face versus face tag matches that took place, mm-hmm. and uh, and now we're once again getting heel versus heel, and this time they're both managed by the same heel manager. Uh, Dave, if I were to tell you that the booking in wcw at this time was done by just taking names out of a hat like would you believe that <laughs> yes it doesn't that seem very plausible i told yeah i did you say specifically for tag team matches especially tag team matches. yeah the tag team matches seem like the, just the odd i mean wasn't last week like the blue bloods versus bubba and, and hugh, hugh morris? morris yeah like why why is that a match it seems like they just it seems like so, God told them they had to have Harlem Heat and Rough and Ready face each other. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, shit, they're managed by the same person. I guess we better make that a storyline. Right. Like, there's no reason for it to be a storyline. It just <laughs> It's like they got forced into doing this and had to justify it after the fact. <laughs> right. They're defending their titles against Rough and Ready, who are just thrown together, whereas, like, Last week the Blue Bloods won. Why don't they just defend against them? That makes more sense. Even though, even and it still fulfills their desire to have heel versus heel tag team matches. Jimmy Jet holds up the championship belts upside down when he's displaying them to the crowd, which <laughs> always amuses me. It's never as funny as when Great Khali did it with the, with the heavyweight championship when he won it. Oh yeah, that's the best time that it's ever been done. <laughs> but this one was funny. I anytime a referee does it, I just feel like it's like. That's their way of saying they don't really care about the match. <laughs> Whatever is for this belt, you know. All four men brawl to start things off, with Heat getting the advantage after Booker toss Enos out of the ring so they can double team on Slater. Stevie and Slater start off the match proper, with Stevie doing essentially nothing at all before running out of ideas and going to a bear hug. <laughs> when Slater begins to escape, Stevie headbutts him, and Slater goes back to his own corner where he tags in Enos. Enos challenges Stevie to a test of strength, which is a curious choice because the one thing Stevie has is that he's a big, strong guy. Right. I, he's not a guy I would be challenging to a test of strength. I know. I'll, I'll test his like greatest attribute. <laughs> it doesn't really go anywhere, and within moments, they're resorting to punching and kicking each other. No one in this match has any ideas for what to do in this match. Enos gets a body slam, but Stevie avoids a standing elbow drop. Stevie hits a clothesline and tags in his brother, and Booker goes for his jumping wheel kick, and it goes like a good four inches over uh, Enos's head. <laughs> but Enos bumps anyway. So he, he takes a flat back bump as if he got kicked. But then he's like, well, that didn't come anywhere close. So I better no sell it. So then he like <laughs> jumps up and just kind of dives at Booker. And Tony and Larry like hesitate. They don't know how to call what's going on because <laughs> they don't know what the story's supposed to. They're like, I don't know whether to say that he got hit or point out that he avoided. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Enos goes for his own little weird jump kick, but Booker just says, like, fuck that. And he right. just he just grabs him by the head and, like, places him on the mat so he can hit a knee drop. <laughs> Although Enos uh, rolls out of the way. Enos then sloppily tackles Booker in a weird moment and tags in Slater. Slater throws Book to the outside with the two exchange punches. Enos hits an axe handle as I guess the ref is distracted by something, and then he slams Booker on the concrete. As he goes to throw a Booker back in the ring, you can see Jimmy Jett is standing there doing a 10 count. So 
I don't know why that wasn't a DQ. He was staring right at the interference. <laughs> right. <laughs> Back in the ring, Slater takes it to Booker T until Book gets a mule kick low blow. He follows up with a side slam for a two count. Dick Slater comes back in with a swinging neckbreaker and a tag to Enos. Enos misses a clothesline and eats a series of kicks, the last being Booker's big axe kick, which gets him a one count. Stevie gets a tag and comes in with a body slam and a knee drop. Sherry and Parker are arguing about something on the outside. Stevie slaps on a chokehold because both of these teams are absolutely refusing to be a baby face for just <laughs> one match. <laughs> right. They're but like low blows, chokeholds, interference. No one is like, I'll be, we'll be the guys getting cheered for just one once. Yeah. Booker traps Enos in the corner and hits him with blows as Slater tries to come to his partner's aid, but is stopped for a time by the ref. Eventually, he manages to get in there and a brawl breaks out between all four men. We wind up with Slater and Booker being the legal men. Booker goes for a drop kick in the corner, but misses. Slater takes advantages with punches and a drop kick. Enos is tagged in, uh, and a heat chant starts up from the crowd. Yeah, I was thinking between these two, I think if they're going to make one of them face for a match, it would be Harlem Heat. I agree. I agree. Slater is tagged back in quickly, but whips Booker off the ropes, and Booker and Slater collide, supposedly head first, and both men go down. We cut to the outside where a very sweaty Sherry and a very <laughs> sweaty Parker are whispering at each other until he notices the camera and tells them to skedaddle. They're whispering about how sweaty they are. I'm so sweaty. How about you? Yeah, me too. I'm pretty sweaty. Okay, let's watch the match. <laughs> Good idea, Sherry. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Back in the <laughs> ring, it's a four-man brawl again. Enos gets a power slam on Booker and Slater crawls over for the pin but Parker is on the apron distracting the ref. Across the ring, Sherry jumps up and plants a big old kissy on the mug of Dirty Dick Slater, who is so repulsed, presumably by the overpowering smell of vodka and cigarettes that <laughs> wafts out of Sherry's mouth, that he gets rolled up by Booker for the 1-2-3. Harlem <laughs> Heat retain their titles in 7 minutes 39 seconds. And and was it Booker T that did the roll-up? Yeah. Because he also pulled the, not the tights, the jeans. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, that was not a very good match. No. I did not care for it. <laughs> no. I felt very fortunate that I didn't have to do the play-by-play, and I didn't pay attention to a lot of it. I kind of liked uh, Mean Mike Enos, the mauler, when he came out before, but mm-hmm. th- I, he just looked lost in this match. He, Yeah, he. Reg- I mean, compared to that match with uh, Steve Dahl, yeah. he regressed a lot. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and I know Stevie Ray's not a great wrestler, but like he's certainly on Steve Dahl's level. And Booker is a good wrestler. Yeah. So you can't put it on them. Uh, Dirty Dick Slater was fine, but he's one of those guys who's just like he's old sur- and ugly. And I just I cannot get interested in, you know? Yeah, he's like, I mean, if you like switch like the roles of him and Greg Valentine, I probably wouldn't notice. Yeah. I mentioned he has one more Nitro appearance, and when he does, uh, I will definitely make sure to tell the great story about the time that he got shot. Oh, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> Harlem Heat and Sherry celebrate while Parker looks nervous and guilty in the background. And now I've seen it all, says Tony Schiavone, as apparently the last thing in human existence he had to see was a woman kissing a man. <laughs> now I've seen There everything. it is. Checks and goes in the back and shoots himself. <laughs> That's, I mean, when you've seen everything. What, where is there? <laughs> right. Tony then sends us over to a highlight package on Rey Mysterio Jr., 
It's very short and only features highlights from his matches at Bash of the Beach in last week's Nitro and none of his first two matches against Dean Malenko. Also, I'm pretty sure Tony already calls him the greatest high flyer of all time. He called one of, I believe, which is still an insane thing to say. Okay. I know he made some sort of claim where it's like, Hey, I think Ray Mysterio Jr. is really good, but yeah. we've only had like four or five matches it's of his. It's a bit early. Let's, let's pull back a little bit here. As we go to a commercial, we get a bumper promo from Jimmy Hart and Meng. Hart warns Arn Anderson that he's going to be the next victim of the Dungeon of Doom, and Meng just shouts in what I think is Tongan. I believe that it would be the native language. Sure, yeah. Gene welcomes us back from commercial, but he's quickly interrupted by Kevin Green. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We are totally live from Orlando here on WCW Monday Night Raw. A little bit. Hey. I got to go now, baby. I want Mongo right now in the ring. We got to go. I got to catch a plane back to training camp, baby. I tried to get a hold of him for you, Kevin. Where is he? I don't, Let's don't go. go to, don't go to the ring. He's not there. You might want to check maybe back in the uh, locker room. I there. want him. I want him. I got to have him. I want to get this resolved tonight before training camp starts. Kevin, this may not be the time or the place, my friend. Uh, Steve Mongo McMichael is going to avoid you like the plague. Hey, just let it be known. I'm looking for him. Unfortunately, now I've got to wait for training camp and the season to be done. I'll be ready to go come February, baby. All right, we can wait a little while. That's about 16, 17 weeks away. You've got to wear an athletic supporter just to interview this guy. Let's get you back up to the ring. He awkwardly takes off his shirt while yelling, I want him. I want him. I gotta have him. (laughs) He says he has to fly back to training camp tonight. So he needs to get this resolved. He says to let it be known that he's looking for Mongo, which he already said in his first promo. So, like, it's definitely known you're looking for Mongo. But yeah. And then he just abruptly gives up and says he'll come back in February after the NFL season. <laughs> and there is just no reason that this had to be added. That that first promo did it just fine. Yeah. It's, it's like he was, like, backstage and was like, gosh, Eric, I forgot to take off my shirt that first time. Could we could we just do it again, please? And because he's, like, famous enough, Bischoff was like, ah, get back out there, you scamp. (laughs) You rascal. (laughs) The second this is over, the camera pulls back from the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, uh, a Disney ride, and the bell rings, and Medusa, of all people, is ready for her very first Nitro match, taking on Malia Hosaka. Though billed as being from Osaka, Japan, and booed by the crowd as an evil foreign heel, Malia Hosaka is a Hawaiian-born wrestler trained by Killer Kowalski and Misty Blue Sims. She competed in the marginally successful Ladies Professional Wrestling Association, Eastern Championship Wrestling, prior to it becoming Extreme, Mm -hmm. and Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, or FMW, in Japan. Uh, Though she announced her retirement in 2012, she's had matches as recently as August of this year. Mm -hmm. So she's still active out there. Yeah, I mean, I... When I was, I looked her up, and then I saw on Facebook that she is actually a champion of a California promotion called Extreme Bombshell Wrestling. Ooh. Uh, I was like, yeah, she doesn't really look like Japanese. No, she looks like a very pretty Hawaiian woman. Right. Like it's, yeah. It's just, it's stupid, but what yeah. are you going to do? But I just thought it was like, I thought this was like some throwaway name that I won't even find any information about oh, her. But sure. it's like, no, she's wrestling like now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she has like championships too. Yeah, it seems like it's a it's a pretty good uh, opponent for Medusa. The women start off with a test of strength until Medusa, the all-American babyface, kicks Hosaka in the side. <laughs> nice cheap shot there. <laughs> I guess she's from the Hogan school of babyfaces. hey She then hits a pretty cool suplex where she just... Um, so they're still locked at a test of strength, but she, like, ducks her shoulder into Malia's gut and then, like, back body drops her almost. Oh, yeah. It, it looked very cool. 
and she keeps their hands intertwined, so Medusa can then bridge this into a pin, which Hisaka quickly kicks out of. It's a really, really good opening sequence to the match. I loved it. Mm -hmm. Larry says that in Japan, Medusa is known as the Tower of Terror because she's taller than Asian women. Uh huh. Get it? <laughs> right. Cool. <laughs> Medusa whips Hisaka into a corner, but Hisaka nails her right in the mush with a big spinning kick. And I mean right in the mush. Like, she nailed her in the face with this yeah. kick. Yep. <laughs> Tony informs us that Medusa has her own Harley, and she will have a match at Hog Wild against Bull Nakano, where the loser will have their bike destroyed. And wasn't I just wishing in our last episode that a heel would come to Hog Wild with like a Japanese or Italian bike? Right. I'm so happy this is <laughs> happening. I'm so pleased. 1996 WCW heard your cries. <laughs> in fact, when Tony mentions that Nakano has a bike, Larry is incredulous. He yeah. just goes, What a Japanese bike? Yeah. He, you need like five of those to make a Harley, which doesn't make doesn't any make sense. Doesn't make any sense. That's too. Ma that's like that's like ten wheels. Yeah, carburetor. Harleys have like five carburetors. <laughs> Everyone knows this. Meanwhile, Hasaka is in firm control with a lot of punch kick type stuff, uh, which I will say probably a dozen more times in every match throughout the rest of the night. This is punch and kick theme night on mm -hmm. Nitro. Hasaka chokes Medusa on the ropes, and the announcers let us know that she's been sent by Sonny Ono to soften Medusa up for the pay-per-view. Mm. Whenever there's an evil Japanese person in WCW, Sonny Ono is not far behind. Right. <laughs> Hosaka retains control for a bit before hitting three snapmares, all uh, snapmares where she's using the hair of Medusa to do it, Yep. and locking on a headlock. She clearly yells at Randy Eller to ask Medusa, like, with the, you know, ask if she submits kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And she has no accent at all. She's <laughs> clearly an American person. <laughs> I did catch that. <laughs> Medusa fights out by pulling Hasaka's hair and laying in some kicks. Then she hits her own hair-based snapmares in succession. She goes for a pile driver, but Hasaka reverses it into a Boston Crab that she doesn't really sit down for. So it kind of looks more like the early walls of Jericho, like you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, around this time, Larry complains about her not sitting down on the hold all the way enough, and Medusa uses her leg strength to, like, flip Hosaka over through the magic of kayfabe. Yes. <laughs> and Hosaka... <laughs> but Hosaka gets back to her feet and hits a swinging neckbreaker, and then the match gets really silly. <laughs> Hosaka goes to the second rope and just jumps backwards. Like, she just jumps off the ropes, and if... If Medusa had stayed still, she would have just landed with her back across Medusa's, you know, rib cage, I guess. Yeah. But that's still just never a move, you see. <laughs> so it looks like she just climbs to the second rope and then just jumps off and does a flat back bump like it's wrestling school or something. Uh, then Medusa goes to the second rope and does the exact same thing, just launching herself straight backwards. <laughs> and this time Hosaka m moves. So Medusa just hits a flat back bump. Hosaka then goes... <laughs> Hosaka then goes to the second rope again and comes with a crossbody but misses. <laughs> so now there's three second rope missed moves in a row. Medusa hits a German suplex and hangs on for the pin. Hosaka's foot is clearly on the ropes in plain view of Randy Eller, so Hosaka helps out and lifts her foot up during the count <laughs> so Medusa can get the pinfall victory in around five minutes. <laughs> uh, the match had some awkward moments, but it was not bad. Uh, it just kind of felt rushed, and there was some things like... I don't know why they thought it'd be fun to just have everyone come off the second rope and miss eight times in a row, uh, but it was a decent match, and the crowd uh, very much behind Medusa. Yeah. Like, I know she hasn't been on very much, but if you just put, like, a blonde in 
American themed stuff and send her out against an evil foreign heel. Like people mm-hmm. are going to get behind that. Yeah. No, and it, it just it just seems kind of. Uh, I'm just amused by the fact that like they brought in Medusa essentially just for like the title belt. Right. And uh, and now that they haven't really figured out what to do with her, they're pretty much just making her a Lunder Blaze. Right. Yeah. Very true. And, and since you know, and like her next feud is with someone she feuded in WWF. Oh yeah. Yep. Medusa exits the ring by slowly leaning over the top rope frontwards and then flipping out of the ring. Mm-hmm. It's just not something I've seen m- people do to leave the ring before, so it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the countdown to hour two expires and Pyro goes off as Eric Bischoff takes over announcing and hypes us up for the eventual appearance of the New World Order. Also, um, after Medusa did the little flip thing, she looked at the at the camera and did like the Carol Burnett. Oh, she like tugged in her ear. Yeah. I saw that. I assume that was like for her husband or something probably. I, I couldn't figure out what it was for, but I was like, I was like, I get the Carol Burnett reference. Yeah. I think Carol <laughs> Burnett did it to like say or, hi to her mom, right? Or her grandmother. Her grandmother. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I'm sure Medusa had somebody that she was like, honk, honk. And then <laughs> Bruce is at home going like, oh, yeah, way to go on. <laughs> I like that Medusa tugs her ear with a honk, honk. <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> now the Bruce is at home. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. honk that ear, baby. <laughs> As we go to commercial, we get a bumper promo from Arn Anderson, who says that man, man up, which I assume just means you know, like man, one, one on one. Mm-hmm. Meng could quote eat any man alive. <laughs> wow! But Meng should check the Horseman's record on Monday nights because it's unparalleled. And this seems like a good time to point out that Arn Anderson lost in the main event of last week's show. Oh, (laughs) unparalleled. (laughs) When we come back, Bischoff talks about how Luger is really the only big name main event guy present to stand up to the New World Order. Not to take anything away from the Steiners, Fire and Ice, and everybody else. (laughs) It's weird that he threw Fire and Ice in there, I thought. (laughs) Speaking of the NWO, Eric gets word from his headset that there's a doings a transpiring, and he and Bobby turn around as the camera pans out. Now, the show is sort of nearby this building that I think is like a ticket gate where people walk through. That's what it looks like, yeah. Um, and there's so there's a roof to this you know area where the people walk through, and on top of that roof they've placed these giant sparkly WCW letters. Yeah, they're kind. They're they look exactly like the ones that they usually have at in the arena. Right. Only now that we can see that the Outsiders have covered the first W and the C with white sheets that they've spray-painted with an N and a W. I guess they haven't quite got to that second W to put up the O. Right. Um, it's very funny to think of Hogan National going to, to fucking Target yeah. and buying sheets yeah. and spray paint. <laughs> oh, we're going to get them. We're gonna, they're going to be so humiliated. <laughs> now you two hold it flat so I can write the letter on here. All right, I'm about to go down a bit of a rabbit hole, and you may have seen me talk about this a little bit on Twitter. Um, sure. But just stay with, stay with me as we go into the weeds here. Okay. Uh, Hall and Nash pose and throw up the click symbol, or the too sweet symbol, which has come up quite a lot l- lately uh, because WWE has sent a cease and desist to the Young Bucks mm-hmm. to stop them from using it. Who, who proceeded to make bank off of the season desist. They're so like, smart. Yeah. Those guys are such good businessmen. <laughs> Whatever you think of the Young Bucks, and, and I get all the opinions, no one can deny that they're smart businessmen. Yeah. The symbol was introduced to the click by Sean Waltman, a.k.a. the 123 Kid. As told by Kevin Nash in a clip that you can see in the WWE-produced The Click Rules documentary, 
Waltman saw some guys doing it while on a tour in Europe, and when he asked about it, he was told it was the Turkish Wolf, a hand sign used by the Turkish Mafia, a.k.a. the Turkish Wolves. Another clip in the doc from sometime in the 1990s shows Nash and Waltman goofing around and calling it the Turkish Wolf. In a WWE.com interview, Triple H also confirms that he and Shawn Michaels called it the Turkish Wolf, saying that though Nash sometimes referred to it as uh, too sweet while holding it up, the name of the hand symbol is the Turkish Wolf. Now, I just want to be very specific about that because there's a few different places where that hand signal has kind of come up. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I want to be clear that the reason that the click is using it is because definitively they're using it based on this group, the Turkish Wolves. Yeah. So I will give the click the full benefit of the doubt and say that they almost certainly did not know that the hand signal of the Turkish Wolf does indeed belong to a Turkish group, but that group is not really analogous with the Mafia as we know it. The Turkish Wolves, a.k.a. the Grey Wolves, a.k.a. the Idealist Club's Educational and Cultural Foundation, is actually a Turkish ultra-nationalist organization that essentially operates as the youth wing of Turkey's fascist nationalist movement party. They're responsible for political and religious violence, including several terrorist massacres of Alevis, which is a liberal sect of Islam, Mm -hmm. and other left-leaning religious and student groups. In 1981, a member of the organization shot and critically wounded Pope John Paul II in an assassination attempt. Oh. Today, they are believed by many to be a paramilitary force accomplishing the dirty work of Turkey's brutal dictator, Recep Erdogan. Uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly. That's close enough for me. So in conclusion, (laughs) the Turkish wolf hand signal, which was used during the late 90s wrestling boom period by all click members in both the WWF and WCW, and which has found new life in today's indie scene, thanks to the Bullet Club, was unwittingly co-opted directly from Turkey's version of the Hitler Youth. And of course, the Wolf Pack, which we will cover in due time, was named after the Turkish Wolf, and thus, once again, unwittingly, named after a group of fascist Turkish terrorists. (laughs) What seems most likely is that Waltman was told the symbol was the Turkish Wolf, and whoever was explaining it to him probably decided the easiest comparison to make was the Mafia, you know, because an American would understand that, I guess. Right. And Waltman just thought, like, Turkish Mafia, that sounds cool and badass. I'm going to start doing that. Mm-hmm. And just completely unbeknownst to these guys, they, they've been throwing up the symbol of just this horrible, horrible group. Yeah. Um, and so I sort of just went down the rabbit hole of researching that uh, on the Internet, and I've, I've kind of talked a little bit about it on Reddit and Twitter. And I'm certainly not the first person to make that but it is not it does not seem like a thing that's sort of widely known um so i just i thought that was fascinating and and i don't know i just kind of so i it's hard because when i pointed out a few places people think i'm like saying that they were like secretly pro-turkish fascist or something like i'm definitely not right i don't think the click gave two shits about Mm -hmm. like which group in turkey hated which group it just is a weird coincidence that makes for an interesting story yeah i mean it's i mean I think a comparison in America would be like if you saw like a gang symbol that you thought would look cool. Yeah. And it's not like I'm not saying I'm going to be part of this gang. It's just like this hand signal is a cool hand signal. Right, right, right. And 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 I and I I think in wrestling they've really made it their own thing anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. um, I don't there's not a lot of people that I imagine would be. If they saw it on wrestling, they'd be like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the click are secretly part of the Turkish wolves. <laughs> Bobby and Eric fret over the New World Order as in the background, Hall and Nash hang up the O over that second W. Uh, by, 
by the way, they have like a little bit of a setup up there too. Yeah. They have launch chairs. Yeah. yeah. And they, and since other people brought coolers in and I saw they had a cooler, I was like, well, it makes sense because they let them bring those in. It's very clear <laughs> that the policy is you can bring in a cooler. <laughs> right. 9-11 really changed the world. <laughs> and I, I feel like this is the first week, the first time we've seen the outsiders and they both are wearing like normal looking clothes. Right. Yeah. They're, they're just they're, wearing like tank tops. They're both like wearing like uh, bl- uh, black tank tops and jeans. No one's wearing like all jeans or or like a strip club thing. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're looking very normal for once. Fireworks blast for hour two and the Dungeon of Doom music hits. Out comes Meng accompanied by Jimmy Hart. Hart yells into the camera, which pumps Bobby to stop whatever he's talking about to just go, shut up, Jimmy. <laughs> yes, I like that too. <laughs> he I, didn't, <laughs> I think he was kind of ranting about the NWO, but then yeah. he like stopped and was like, Shut up, Jimmy. <laughs> it's it's great. <laughs> Heenan talks about the power that Hogan can exert in the entertainment industry, noting that Hogan's lawyer also represents George Foreman. Uh, this lawyer, Henry Holmes, is the one who set Foreman up with the extremely lucrative endorsement for the Foreman Grill. A lot of people will know that Hogan has at times alternately claimed that he was offered the grill first and turned it down, or uh, on Hogan Knows Best, the version of the story he said, was that Holmes called to offer him the grill first but when he didn't answer, he just called and offered it to George Foreman instead, which is an insane way to do business that makes <laughs> right. no sense. Yeah. The maker of the grill has said that he always had Foreman in mind after seeing the boxing legend in an ad for Meineke Auto Repair Shops. So this is likely just one of those things Hogan has made up. Yep. Or he was talking about a different grill and he's just conflated in his mind because he's an insane person. You're right. <laughs> uh, Hogan would eventually endorse a grill, Hulk Hogan's ultimate grill, but it never approached anything uh, along the lines of the popularity of the Foreman grill. Yeah. Did you ever have a Foreman grill, Dave? No, I didn't. Um, I I remember when we were in college, someone had one in like in the in the village. Yeah, I was, did. You might was be that, remembering was that, me. Yeah, yeah that was I probably did. yeah. Yeah, I did. I did because I just remember it was like I was like, wait, you can have that just here. <laughs> Yeah, I you they might have been banned later as some sort of fire hazard. But <laughs> right. Yeah, I used them all the time to uh, make, they make grilled cheese sandwiches for like a college kid. It was the perfect grilled cheese sandwich making machine. Yeah, it just yeah, it just seemed like like the biggest like grease fire hazard. <laughs> Arn Anderson comes out as Eric points out that no matter what you think of Arn, he's WCW through and through. Hall and Nash sip drinks with little umbrellas from their perch above the crowd. <laughs> they must have got it at that same trip where they picked up those sheets and the spray paint. <laughs> right. And they've somehow managed to also locate a bunch, couple of deck chairs. Look how relaxed and cool they are, gushes Bischoff in the guise of being disgusted with them. <laughs> right. Like, he's trying to pretend to be, but he just clearly is, like, in love with these two men. <laughs> and And also, it's like, undeniably, they look pretty cool. Oh, they look too. Yeah, they look, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> Arn and Meng spend about a minute just circling and fainting at each other without doing much of anything. Finally, Meng goes for a lockup, but Arn ducks it and circles behind with a waist lock, which Meng kicks his way out of. We hear, but do not see, a ton of fireworks going off mm-hmm. as Meng takes control of chops. Meng hits an atomic drop as Bobby says that when he heard the name Hog Wild, he thought it was a bowling league from Milwaukee. <laughs> Meng hits huge chops in the corner as Bischoff shares that about 15 WCW folks will be riding their Harleys from Minneapolis out to Sturgis, as if anyone watching could possibly give a fuck about that. <laughs> right? 
Certainly, it does not dissuade from the popular opinion that Bischoff put Hogwild together just as an excuse to go to Sturgis and get paid and look cool. Yeah. Like, no, he, I mean, everything about it is like 100%. That's the reason why they did it. And it's just like he's talking about his like vacation he's going to be going on. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't care about or like your road trip. Yeah, he comes back to it later, and he's like, oh, yeah, there's going to be about 15 of us. We're going to leave from the uh, Mall of America. Mm-hmm. And he, like, gives the date that they're going to leave. Like, who gives a fuck, dude? It's so I, stupid. I know at the time, like, you had the, you were able to, like, go and meet them before they left. They made it, like, a little... Oh, at the mall? Yeah, they made it, like, a little meet-and-greet sort of deal. Yeah, that makes... I suppose that makes sense. I yeah, mean, but, I mean, still, it's just, like... <laughs> look at these vacation photos of mine. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> hype this pay-per-view in Sturgis, South Dakota by getting like 75 people in Minneapolis out to a parking lot to wave to us as we leave on our motorcycles. <laughs> right. Doesn't make any sense. Let them see how cool we look. I'll have to it. watch like the Saturday night episodes and see if maybe they use a little some footage from that or something at least. Um I can I can tell you that they'll that there is on Hog Wild itself. Oh, they do. They, okay. There's like a vignette that's like All right, well, I'll just watch pretty that awesome. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Hog Wild. <laughs> Arn drops out of the ring and slams Meng's ankle into the ring post. Meng takes back over with kicks and punches mixed in with pauses to fix something he doesn't like about his boot. Arn gets some headbutts to the gut of Meng as Meng's tag team partner, the Barbarian, comes to ringside. Meng gets a kick to Arn's face for a two as we go to commercial after checking in with the outsiders who are watching the show from their perch. <laughs> when we come back, it looks like Arn is in control of this boring bullshit. The crowd is chanting for Hogan, uh, which is very loud and noticeable, uh, as this crowd is only like 500 people. So any yeah. chant that gets picked up has to be like a lot of, a big portion of them. Yep. After minutes of nothing, Meng tosses Arn to the outside, where Jimmy Hart puts the boots to him. Meng joins him and shoves Arn into the ring back first several times. More Hogan chants as Meng hits a vertical suplex for two. In talking about Luger's concussion and injured eye, uh, Bobby Heenan mentions Kirby Puckett, the mm-hmm. greatest Minnesota twin of all time, who had to retire due to eye issues. Uh, just You're not going to say Kirby Puckett on a show I'm watching without me paying attention. <laughs> you, I, the, way you made, the, the way you made that statement was like, he's the greatest twin that had to retire due to <laughs> eye issues. Of all the twins who had yeah. to retire due to eye issues, <laughs> Kirby Puckett was the best one of them. Yeah, no, I and I wrote that down. I was like, oh, Kirby Puckett reference. Well, we got to bring that up. But uh, when they got to that point, I was, I mean, when they keep hyping up these injuries that yeah. Luger has, um, to me, it's like, it's laughable that Luger would have a concussion and a nearly detached retina yeah. and is still wrestling. And then I made the note, I guarantee he will not look injured when he comes out. <laughs> oh yeah, Lex. Yeah, Lex yeah. is going to be incapable of like, I, I mean, for one thing, how would you sell a detached retina besides like a patch? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Winking a lot. I don't know. <laughs> Squinting. <laughs> Just <laughs> feeling around for the ring. <laughs> Arn calls for the DDT, but Meng hits a back body drop. Jimmy Hart distracts Nick Patrick so that Barbarian can get involved. Arn walks into a mafia kick from Meng for the 1-2-3 pinfall victory, and this match was 10 full minutes of nothing. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever had a match this long where I wrote this few of notes because mm-hmm. nothing happened. This match this match was so boring. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't know what was going on with this one. And it, I mean, 
And then when Ming hit the mafia kick, there was a moment where it was like, it seemed like Ming forgot that he was getting the pinfall. Yeah. He waited and then just did a nonchalant cover. And I'm like, if I'm Arn Anderson, I'm pissed right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And Arn doesn't do the like kick right after the three or anything. He lays there like he is dead. Yeah. So, I mean, at least Arn, you know, stays professional. But I agree. It, he doesn't. He did not help make Arn look good in right. defeat. Yeah, we seem. It seems like we're a long ways away from those two weeks in which he beat Hulk Hogan. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> Hart jumps around the ring, celebrating like a nutcase. The announcers put this over as a huge upset that will bolster the Dungeon of Doom in their battle with the Horsemen. As we go to commercial, Bischoff says that the NWO or New World Order is staking their claim tonight. Uh, and I believe that tonight would be the first time that they have ever used NWO as like initials oh, for the New World Order. Sure. Yeah, I think you're right. After a commercial, we come back and Mean Gene is near the entrance with Deborah and Steve Mongo McMichael. Welcome back, everybody, to more WCW Monday Nitro. I am joined right now by the newest member of the Four Horsemen. And uh, it's obviously, right, obviously not a horse here. Well, he wanted to do a little sightseeing. He wanted to chase that big rat around the park, and we got that done. Plus counting a little bit of more of his money. Now, what's all this fuss about out here? I noticed that you showed up, and so did Deborah. Please, yes, you showed up. Now, all of a sudden, that Kevin Green is on his way to the airport. But he's not still here. No, he's not. Uh, yeah, Wait well, a minute, he might he should be. be. Is Kevin Green still there? But, but bring him on. Nope, apparently he's left. Well. That just shows you where he's coming from. Them bunch of expansion pukes he's playing for now, baby. Hey, forget about that small change contract you got, son. If you want to fight, I'm a professional now. You don't stand out in the back alley and fight. Get your name on the dotted line, and you got Mongo, and he's got you. Do you agree with that, Deborah? Well, I have a question for Kevin Green. First of all, what is the Carolina Panthers? Is that a farm team for B players? I mean... I know it's not the Chicago Bears, I mean, uh, well, and then I have another thing I wanted to ask Kevin. You know, my husband lasted 15 years in the NFL, 15, and do you know why he lasted 15 years? Why is that? Because he did not let little punks like Kevin Green push him around, that's why. And another thing is records. My husband here holds the most, the record for the most consecutive starts in the NFL, the most games played in the NFL, the most sacks by defensive tackle in the Pro Bowl. I don't know how many times he was in the Pro Bowl. I've lost count. So, Kevin, what, what's your record? I really don't hear a lot about that. And one more thing. Oh, please. Kevin, this is the WCW where the big boys play. So you need to pack up and go back to the little Carolina where all the little bitty farm boys are. Farm boys? Farm boys. Okay, I thank you very much. This is a very interesting evening to say the least. Derek and Bobby, let's get back to you and get back to action here very on Nitro. Very foolish, four, Kevin. Four. Very foolish. Mean Gene is near the entrance with Deborah and Mongo McMichael. Mongo is holding Pepe, so there's no sign of Angel, the heel dog that they debuted at Bash the Beach. Oh, yeah. I was disappointed because I liked the idea of a new heel dog. That was very <laughs> funny to me. You could tell he's a heel when he has the heel dog with him. <laughs> Mongo says that Pepe is uh, out sightseeing and wanted to chase, quote, that little rat around the park. And I hope that nobody from Disney is watching tonight because they are extremely protective yes. of the image of Mickey Mouse. And they would not be happy with that. <laughs> but Disney's probably not listening to Steve McMichael's promo. That's so. true. Although we will find uh, next week uh, that some of the things that are done 
on Nitro do get Disney actually pretty pissed ooh. at WCW. Ooh, that's a ooh, that's yeah. a little little nugget to look forward to. Mongo acts surprised that Kevin Green has left the arena, but then gives a huge smile. He's not actually mad. Hey, wait a minute. He probably knows he's gone. Mongo calls the Panthers franchise pukes and threatens Kevin Green. Deborah also insults the Panthers. Uh, reminder that they will go to the NFC Championship this year. They're actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and Deborah hypes some of Mongo's NFL records. She forgets her words a couple times, but I think generally comes across pretty well. Like, even though she's stumbling a lot, mm-hmm. I still thought she was kind of the star of this little segment. Uh, Gene chuckles at her talk of, I forget the context, but she mentions farm boys, and Gene almost breaks up laughing. Yeah. And then uh, they just kind of sign off. It was, I don't know, a dumb little promo. What do you think? Uh <laughs> No, like the farm boys thing is like she's trying to think of an insult for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. And there's like a pause and it's like, oh, she's trying to come up with something. <laughs> yeah. And she comes up with the farm boys and he's like. Oh, maybe that's why he He's laughs. like, farm boys, that's where you're going with? <laughs> but uh, no, I thought this, this this promo to me is like this weird moment where like they they take each other's place as far as like Mongo sounds competent, <laughs> whereas Deborah <laughs> sounds like she's doing everything on the fly and not. Because usually Deborah is the one that's like, whoa, making all the coherent statements. Yeah, whereas, yeah. whereas M- Mongo is like, you know, coked out of his mind or whatever. But he he seems pretty lucid. Tonight. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. and uh, yes. I agree. She's stuttering, and some of the stuff doesn't make a ton of sense. But I think she has charisma in bunches, and it's mm-hmm. shocking because I remember thinking in WWF that she was so bland. When she's with Jarrett, like years later, yeah, well, I can't believe it's the same woman. Yeah, well, it's it's like, you know, the only they only emphasize like her physical look, and they right. never gave her the opportunity to do any talking, because like you could tell in WCW, like she has like a clear knack for like she could have been like a really good referee or not referee. Uh, I would have I would have loved to see <laughs> right. Deborah McMichael referee. No, a manager. She would have been a really good manager, not Absolutely. just not just like the eye candy that's by ringside. Right, like right. She, she could have been more like uh, someone like woman that like interferes and phys- is physical and also maybe does a lot of talking for someone that can't. Yes, I agree. So, yeah, it's just it's it is like it's really sad to watch and be like, you know, WWF takes her and and just emphasizes all the wrong things. And then, you know, Jerry Lawler and his comments all the time. <laughs> I don't. I won't even say the word. Horseman music plays again as Benoit comes out. He's going to be facing Eddie Guerrero. Uh, these two men were friends and would eventually become very, very close and traveling partners. Eddie is out all babyface fire and high fives, and Bobby says that this should be a great match and puts over both men, though he gives Benoit the edge just for being a horseman, basically. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, here to call all the action of Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit is our own uh, Slurms McKenzie. <laughs> Give me wham wham wham. <laughs> right. I, I like so yeah, Benoit comes out first and then Eddie Guerrero comes out and he gets fireworks. Yeah. And not only did I notice it, but Eddie noticed it because he stops and points and is like he's super excited. Yeah. He also uh pretty early on gets an Eddie chant from the crowd. Yeah, he the, is very over. The Eddie chant is actually when the bell rings. So like the the fans are like psyched for him. And I'm always for some reason I'm always amazed that even though he has these periods of time He's not on Nitro. Yeah. Whenever he shows up, the f- everyone remembers who he is. Absolutely. Yeah, they seem very excited to have him around. Yeah. And, hey, I'm excited to have him around, so <laughs> right. they're right to feel that way. Yes. 
Um, after the bell rings, Chris Benoit has the referee check Eddie's knee pad. But I'm thinking there's nothing wrong with that knee pad. <laughs> but it actually gives him the opening for a sneak attack. Benoit unloads with forearms and kicks before driving Eddie to the corner and, and hitting a nasty-sounding chop. This is another one where it's like he's right up to the corner with the camera, so you get like a really good audible chop sound. Mm-hmm. And it sounds rough. A strong whip to the opposite corner, and Benoit is still all over Eddie, getting in his face with a four-finger salute of the horseman before throwing him to the mat. Another hard chop is followed by a choke on the rope on the top rope, which Benoit uses, uh, which then Benoit uses to kind of like ricochet him back, or however you would phrase that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> and this is the point where it's like uh, Benoit has this way of like it. L- he always looks like he's just crossing the line and maybe being unprofessional with how harsh he is with his opponent. But I think that's just like he so effectively makes his his offense just look so vicious. Uh, yeah, I mean, knowing that these two were great friends, like I I don't think Eddie would be friends with him. He's just taking liberties with him. Right. He certainly is laying it in stiff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's just the, the Japanese style, which he's very familiar with. But also, you know, he, he so loved... Um, dynamite kid and that's just dynamite kid style too it was just really laying it in there mm-hmm. uh as Ed, as Benoit applies a headlock uh, Bobby Keenan really puts him over by talking about his acceleration power which sounds really awesome <laughs> <laughs> this idea that like he's strong but he has like such a quickness and he can just like move on you so fast that like it's even more powerful right and I just like the way that he described that um Ben, Chris Benoit goes for uh, like a reverse suplex where it's like he has him in the reverse DDT trying to suplex him. Oh, over. right. Yep. But Eddie counters, uh, comes off the rope, and Eddie gets a tilt to whirl, but Benoit lands on his feet. Benoit tries a powerbomb Guerrero, but gets countered by an arm drag that sends a crippler to the outside. Eddie wastes no time. He runs up to the top rope and nails Benoit with a plancha onto the floor. It looks great. I've got this show playing on my iPad as we talk here. Oh, yeah. It just happens to be on that exact part of the match, and it looked great. Yeah, and, and as you notice, he's like, he's on the ringside. He's like, oh, he's in the plancha zone. <laughs> and he's he doesn't want to waste time because we saw recently that one of his opponents was able to, like, back away. Yeah. I can't remember. That was a while ago, but I know exactly what, what you're talking about. I can't remember who that no, Psychosis. Psychosis did that. Oh, okay. Yeah, he backed away. So it seems like Eddie's learned, like, I have to, I have to move quickly. Right. Uh, he rolls Benoit back into the ring before hitting his uh, trademark, I called it the slingshot senton from the apron. Right, yeah. Um, as Eddie grinds his boot into Benoit's face, Bischoff tells us that he's going to be facing the Nature Boy Ric Flair for the United States title at Hog Wild, which I think will be a great match. And again, comes back to my idea that like Ric Flair's United States champion will have him going against like a lot of different guys. Yeah, I think um, it was like Benoit's or not, excuse me, it was Eddie's maybe second match, I think, that we saw on Nitro was against Flair a oh, long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. And um, mm-hmm. they had a great match, and then Flair made him, like, pass out in the figure four. Oh, uh, yeah. That was a great match, so yes. I'm really looking forward to seeing that again. Yeah, and, and I mean, that was without anything at stake. So having right. a United States title, which maybe it doesn't mean as much to Ric Flair, but it would mean everything to Eddie Guerrero's career. Absolutely. And so easily, he he's coming up on the biggest match of his career. So, Definitely. Uh, I'm And I'm looking forward to that and as well. Yeah. <laughs> good. 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 Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> uh, 
this time, Eddie is actually able to hit the turtle world backbreaker, but he cannot capitalize as Benoit grabs him by the trunks in order to like whip him into the corner. Benoit with an impressive gorilla press slam as we see the outsiders are no longer in the arena area. Oh, no. Hmm. Benoit applies a camel clutch as the announcers hype up the behind-the-scenes aspect of Hogwild, which yeah. I don't know what that means. He keeps saying, like, we're going to show you stuff behind the scenes at this big motorcycle rally, and you're going to see stuff that you've never seen before. Basically, it seems like he's telling me that if I watch, I might see some gross old biker woman's tits. <laughs> right. Like, that's, I mean, seriously, that seems to be the implication. Yeah. That you're going to see something real sexy. Yeah. And look, like, I'm a little familiar with Sturgis. I haven't been personally, but my stepdad goes off and I've seen many pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a lot of ladies at Sturgis that <laughs> I want to see that much more of. Yeah. I think, I think this is a point where Heenan says, you're going to see tattoos in places you didn't realize they could get tattoos. Ooh, boy. Something like that, which I'm like, I think you could get tattoos pretty much anywhere. Yeah. So, Bobby? <laughs> Benoit, again, another thing in 90s WCW, Benoit gives up on the submission hold and picks Eddie back up, only to be quickly dropped by a side suplex from Guerrero. Eddie isn't able to keep up the advantage, though, as Benoit hits a snap suplex for a two count. Benoit then rolls uh, Eddie over into a vicious Boston Crab, which is now another version of the Boston Crab in which someone kind of stands on there. So it's like, I think the third time we've seen that sort of version. I'm telling you, they all went to the same workshop. They worked (laughs) on reverse DDTs and standing up for holds. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And when I heard there was Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero, we now get the move that I was looking forward to, in which Chris Benoit powerbombs the shit out of Eddie Guerrero. However, he only gets a two count because Benoit delays the cover attempt, and he kind of, like, he takes in, like, his own excellence in, of powerbombing him. So, nope, only gets a two. Mm-hmm. Benoit with a backbreaker, and he holds Eddie onto his knee for a submission attempt. Uh, after a body slam, Benoit heads to the top, but Eddie springs to his feet and cuts him off. Then we get a superplex from the top rope, which also looks awesome. Now we have the two men trading punches and then chops in the middle of the ring. After the two exchange some more punches, Benoit tries for a pop-up powerbomb, but Eddie holds on and hurricanes both men to the ringside area. Uh, Benoit slams Eddie into the ringside steps, but while the referee is checking on Guerrero, Dean Malenko runs down and... Benoit's skull like legitimately bashes against the ring Yep. because you can hear it. Yeah. You don't see it, but you can hear it. So both men are down. Eddie Guerrero slowly gets to his feet and just gets into the ring. And so Chris Benoit gets counted out and Eddie Guerrero wins. Uh, this is, this match was exactly what I expected out of the two. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of getting more interested in this whole Dean Linko and Benoit thing, especially since, both men looked particularly vicious in their matches tonight, and now they're going to do that to each other, which is going to be awesome. Yeah, it's uh, we've got three of the four radicals uh, all kind of intertwining here. It should be pretty oh, interesting. Yeah. The crowd uh, cheers for Eddie at the end here, although it does seem somewhat muted, perhaps because of the weak win for a babyface to be winning by count out like that. Right, and also it was kind of hard to tell that the referee was doing the count because he was kneeling, like he was oh, like sure. he was looking out the ring to check on them. Yeah, so you couldn't even figure out what the, where the count was at. And he's like, nope, nope, he won. It's out there. 
We are running out of time, and we are running out of answers, and we are running out of observations, claims Eric Bischoff, <laughs> and I don't know what that means. Running out of observations? Yep. yep. We're running out of time. We're running out of answers. What? <laughs> <laughs> we go to commercial with Jimmy Hart and Big Bubba saying basically exactly what they said earlier in their promo, that Lex better focus on Big Bubba. Oh, and our world is still about to fucking change. <laughs> oh, is it? Yep. Oh, my God. We come back to the show with Eric showing us that the NWO banners have been removed. Bubba, and I, I almost want to say uh, that this is because earlier Bobby started making this big stink about, like, why haven't our guys gone and gotten rid of them? Are they are we afraid of the NWO? Yeah. And I think know. they were like, shit, this is making our guys look weak now, so we have to go remove them. Yeah. Yeah, I remember he really put them on in spot. It's yeah. just it's like, it's just, anyone. We have 10,000 wrestlers. There's not one guy that's willing, or just have all of them come go out there. It's also funny, though, that uh, we the, the WCW guys still waited until the NWO left to take them down. <laughs> so they are afraid. <laughs> Bubba comes out with Jimmy Hart. Bubba calls himself Big Bubba Rogers, although I can't remember the last time that we heard the last name used as part of his gimmick. Out next is Lex Luger, as Eric says that WCW isn't going anywhere, regardless of what anybody says. Lex is wearing his television title that will be on the line tonight, uh, which he won from a departing Johnny B. Bad back in March. The last time he defended it on Nitro was on the May 27th uh, episode against Max, who has not been seen on Nitro since. I was about to say, I was like, hey, they remembered who the television champion was. Good for them. (laughs) Bubba, of course, has earned this title shot by losing over and over and over again to John Tenta. (laughs) So, of course, he's the number one contender to the television title. (laughs) Of course he is. Bischoff puts over Luger for ignoring the advice of his doctors to defend his belt tonight (laughs) as we go to commercial. When we come back, Randy Anderson calls for the belt to kick off this match. By the way, when Luger came out, he was just kind of flexing and doing his thing. Not looking like he has a detached retina or yeah, a concussion. You're right. Yeah, he's just being Lex <laughs> He's Luger. just being Lex. Bubba starts off a body slam to uh, start off the match. He goes to the top rope, but Luger trips him, and he crashes back to the mat. Luger hits a back body drop that Bubba hilariously yells through. Like, the whole time he's getting back body drop, you just hear him going, ah! <laughs> It's very funny. And then Lex tosses Bubba to the outside. Bubba gets back in, and Luger works a wrist lock as Bubba comically runs in a circle, reaching for the ropes to break the hold. (laughs) Finally, he takes Bubba to the mat. When Bubba gets to his feet, he tries to take over with an eye gouge and introducing Lex's head into the turnbuckle, but Luger isn't quite ready for his offense to end, so he blocks it and nails Bubba's head into the corner instead. Bubba stumbles backward, disoriented, and because Luger takes a second to, like, realize that he's being fed, Bubba just stands there with, like, the you know, Tweety Birds going around his skull for like a split second too long right? before Luger comes out of the corner with a running <laughs> forearm. That gets a two count. Bubba hits a big punch and a weird suplex. I don't know how else to describe it. He like starts lifting him up for a vertical suplex, but instead of going all the way backwards, he like falls forward, so he lands on his gut instead. Hmm. I don't know what you would call that. But anyway, Luger starts sen- selling his head injuries as Bubba hits him with several more knees to the skull. Bubba hangs Luger on the ropes and jumps onto his back, choking him. Then he drops down to the floor and punches Lex in the mouth and covers him for a two count. An aerial shot of the NWO's limo shows Nash and Hall exit the car and sit on the back of it, cool as cucumbers. 
which are very cool. <laughs> I've always talked about how cool the cucumbers <laughs> oh, are. Man, you got a cucumber, bro? Shit. <laughs> Bubba gets a clothesline for a two count. Luger catches a Bubba kick, but the agile big man gets an enziguri for two. Bubba hits Lex with a few punches before getting in Randy Anderson's face after the pipsqueak ref warns him about use of closed fists. <laughs> Bischoff says he wishes someone had told him two years ago about the real Hulk Hogan, though of course he'd heard the rumors. <laughs> Bobby points out that he'd been telling everyone about the real Hulk Hogan for years. Right. <laughs> Bischoff didn't really have a rejoinder for that either. It's just like, yeah. well, fair enough. Yeah. And when he said that, it's like, this Hogan doesn't seem very far removed from like what we expect out of him, so yeah. I don't know what impression he had two <laughs> years ago. I could, because again, they were they were alluding to this idea that the invasion or the hostile takeover what was uh, starting back in 1994, right. in which there was like, yeah, we gave him a ticker tape parade then too. Yeah, and this is what he does to us. Bubba and Lex take a break with a chin lock. Finally, Bubba knocks him down and taunts the crowd. He knees Lex in the head again and grabs a high five from the mouth of the South as we go to commercial. When we return, Big Bubba is biting Lex in the corner, though it looks a lot like he's making out with him. <laughs> Can it be both? <laughs> An Irish whip sends Lex into the corner, but the total package hits a big boot on Bubba, followed by a ropes-assisted dropkick where he just like leans back on the ropes and gets both feet up into yeah. Bubba's mouth, mm -hmm. and then a flying forearm. Luger is fired up and hits some clotheslines. Both men come off the ropes and clothesline each other, and Randy Anderson starts the standing 10 count. We then cut to Hall and Nash wandering down the aisle towards the ring, looking mean. Jimmy Hart is distracting Randy Anderson while Bubba and Lex are argue, and Lex knocks Bubba out with a punch. Anderson notices that Lex has a foreign object in his hand. Eric Bischoff tells us that Hart threw this in the ring, but of course we didn't see it because the camera was focused on the Outsiders. Yeah. The Outsiders now enter the ring, and Nash attacks Luger from behind. The Outsiders beat Lex down, and out comes a black-clad Hogan, replete with sunglasses at night, who cheers on Nash and Hall and shakes each man's hand. Uh, by the way, Big Bubba ended up winning by disqualification. Oh, okay. Because Luger, like... I missed that there was even an end to that match. Yeah, because the referee was looking at Luger, and he... And the and ref he had that foreign object. But the ref almost looked like he was saying, like, you're not even going to try to hide it? You're just holding yeah. it in your hand. <laughs> All right, you're disqualified. Fine. Yeah. It, the ending of the match is so totally forgotten. Yeah. It's even weird that they had, like, booked a thing that would need the focus of the camera to catch and then interrupted it. Like, they have control over when all this stuff happens. Right. It's not It's not <laughs> real. You know? They, they can cue these guys. <laughs> right. It's stupid. <laughs> Hogan slaps Lex around a bit, and Nash rolls the total package out of the ring. Bubba is starting to regain consciousness. Hogan helps him to his feet, and Bubba looks surprised and scared, but Hogan reassures him. Bischoff asks if Bubba is the fourth member of the NWO as Hogan extends a hand. The men shake, but then Hogan signals to Nash and Hall, who beat up Bubba. They just yes. wanted to make him feel good for a second before kicking his ass, I guess. <laughs> Hogan motions for them to toss him from the ring, and the outsiders oblige. They pose to 80% booze, but a few cheers. And in comes Mean Gene Okerlund. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you, Eric and Bobby, Hulk Hogan, Outsiders. You have led us down the Primrose path. Well, you know something, Gino? I wish I would have done this two years ago, brother, because the new world order is taking over professional wrestling. Hulk Hogan is bigger than the sport of professional wrestling. 
and with the outsiders, the new blood, the foundation of the new world order, we shall rule the wrestling world, me Gene. What about the children? You know about the thousands and thousands of telephone calls that came in to WCW. Every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth is totally disgusted with you, Hulk Hogan, including myself. We all know about the training, the prayers, and the vitamins, brother. And like I said, these people out here, after I led their children down the right path, had the gall to boo Hulk Hogan one more time. You fans can stick it, brother. Wait a minute. I think Sting and Eric Bischoff brought it up earlier on. I think Sting said it best when he retorted that Hulk Hogan, you can stick it. Well, you know something, brother? As far as people like Sting go, 10 years ago, when I shook his hand in Venice Beach, he was a skinny little bodybuilder. And when he laid his eyes on Hulk Hogan, he was shaking in his boots. I heard all the crying from the so-called macho man. For three years, he blamed his divorce. The fact that he couldn't rise to the occasion on Hulk Hogan, brother, and over and over and over and over again this past week, I've heard the whole WCW blame Hulk Hogan for their problems. The only problem is I'm the greatest wrestler in the world. I made professional wrestling. I will always be bigger than wrestling. And with these two friends of mine, the new world order shall rule the wrestling world. This could see this guy's yeah. friends. You know about this man's background and this man's background. And look what they've done. This NWO, where is it going to go? Who is going to be part of it? I think that's the question we're all asking ourselves. And I'm going to ask you. Well, these are the renegades, brother. These are the men that when I open the door, brother, they have the guts enough to walk through it. These are the guys that are going to set the trend for the 90s that will lead Hulk Hogan in professional wrestling to its destiny. But these guys are just the foundation. The thing that everybody or all the people out there don't realize is as I build my empire, will there be more outsiders that I bring in or will it be people that are so close to Ted Turner, maybe Eric Bischoff's friends, who knows, man? Maybe the guys that are in the locker room right now, there's always been a double loyalty, man. In this business, they've been loyal to the promoters that have paid their bills, and they also have been loyal to Hulk Hogan because they know where Hulk Hogan goes. That's where professional wrestling goes. You have to vent all of this on these people, your peers in this business, how about the kids that have looked up to you for years and years and years, and now it comes down to this? Take the microphone This is a pretty good example of the way your life is going to go, Hulk Hogan. Well, you know, dude, I laid it out straight for all those kids, brother. They didn't want to follow the path, so I'm done with them, man. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to mess with that skinny little macho man or that crybaby sting. I'm going right to the top of the ladder, brother. And at Hog Wild, brother, on August the 10th, if the giant has got guts enough, I'm going to dismantle the whole Ted Turner organization at one night. We're going to take the WCW belt, 
make it the new world order belt, and we shall reign supreme from that day forward. And as far as I'm concerned, brother, if Ted Turner has any boys in the back that have any guts at all, come on out right now. We'll beat up the whole WCW right now. And what are they gonna do? the giant and this is a madman right now he's out of his mind gentlemen this is nitro and i'm gonna get out of here all right we're running out of time hogan says he wishes he had done this years ago because the nwo is taking over professional wrestling also did you know hulk hogan is bigger than the sport of professional wrestling huh what about the children asked gene Hogan says that everyone knows about the training, the prayers, and the vitamins. But even though he had led all these kids down the right path, the fans had still chosen to boo him. So he reiterates his previously stated position that the fans can stick it. (laughs) I'm going to go back to my previous statement, (laughs) which I clearly said, you can stick it. (laughs) The ring fills with trash as Hogan, directed by an Okerlund question, starts talking about Sting. He says when he met Sting 10 years ago, Sting was, quote, a skinny little bodybuilder, which seems like a contradiction in terms. <laughs> right. No, cause, uh, because um, Gene Oakland mentioned that last week Sting said that you should stick it. Oh, right, right, right. So that was his kind of lead in. And I'm always like surprised of uh, the things that Gene Oakland says directly to wrestlers. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's also like, well, it's kayfabe because they're not going to attack him. But it's also, he gets away with saying stuff where it's like, well, how about you stick it, Hogan? What's your comment on that? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably a good time to mention that, that Gene certainly did that. And so that was another thing that um, Lance Russell, who just passed away, the announcer from Memphis, who yeah. is beloved by many, mm-hmm. he was known for doing that too. And I think that's sort of a lost thing where these guys had personalities. They weren't just cardboard cutouts. And they had opinions. Uh, yeah, they had opinions, and they like they stuck up for themselves. And Gene even had a reason why it worked for him, because he always, the second anyone got remotely physical, he'd start yelling about lawyers yeah, right. to give like a reason why these guys would leave him alone. Yeah, He has a fleet. He has a whole fleet of <laughs> lawyers. Um, so, yeah, I do agree that that's sort of a thing that's missing nowadays. Mm-hmm. I wish there were more Gene Okerlunds and less uh, Dashas or whoever the hell is doing <laughs> it in WWE right now. <laughs> right. Hogan says that when when he met Sting, Sting was shaking in his boots. He also heard all the crying from the Macho Man last week, but Macho Man spent three years blaming Hogan for his divorce, which is a mostly true statement, <laughs> when it was Macho's fault that he couldn't, quote, rise to the occasion. hey He says that everyone is blaming him for the problems in their life, but the only problem is that he's the greatest wrestler in the world, <laughs> that he made wrestling, and that he'll always be bigger than wrestling. <laughs> And with his new friends in the New World Order, they will rule the wrestling world. Bischoff is disgusted, and Okerlund asks Hogan who else might join the NWO. Hogan isn't saying, but hints that it could be anyone inside the WCW or more outsiders. Hogan says that the kids didn't follow his path, so he's done with them. He calls Macho Man skinny and Sting a crybaby. <laughs> what? <laughs> I I was thrown off by the skinny thing with Macho Man. Yeah. He's, he's a really built guy. Yeah. Hogan challenges the Giant to a championship match at Hog Wild. He says they'll take the WCW belt and make it the NWO belt. He then challenges the entire locker room to a fight. And after what seems like forever, like it seems like they're all a bunch of pussies who aren't going to come out. Right. And then finally the Steiners, the Faces of Fear, and Arn Anderson come out. 
They surround the ring, and the show just ends with a fearful Heenan who's been left alone in the booth as Bischoff has just ditched him. Yes. <laughs> uh, I thought this was actually a pretty great promo. Like, I kind of make fun of the, I'm bigger than wrestling, I'm the mm-hmm. best wrestler in the world, you know, and he'll do that stuff just a lot. Yeah. Um, but it is a fact that this crowd was cheering, was chanting Hogan's name in an unrelated match mm-hmm. earlier, and yet he came out here and made himself a heel. He got himself booed simply by his words and his attitude. Yeah. He did his job, and he did it very effectively with what he had to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, this was an instant in which, instance in which uh, fans were throwing a lot of garbage in the ring. Yeah. Um, and it was hitting. You could see it hitting all the fans in front of the people. Like, uh, just from the hard camera, you can just see people like constantly looking over their shoulder as they get hit with stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it does not seem like a super safe situation. And I was, I kept being distracted because on the uh, in the front row on the right there was like this little boy. Yeah, that was just like looking on the ground trying to find anything to throw in the ring. <laughs> It's just like it's just like oh I got permission to do this now is my chance to be bad. <laughs> That's so funny. And also during this whole thing, the outsiders look fucking badass. Yeah, they do. Like Nash is just doing this that deal where he kind of like rings his wrist or like prepares a knuckle sandwich. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just staring down like every single fan and not caring. Like there's like something bounces off his chest he just ignores it yeah they they look fucking cool here absolutely and i don't i mean time will tell but i think like you've been mentioning the fact that like the nwo is getting booked to look way stronger than the entire roster for wcw and it'll be oh yeah it'll be interesting to see if it's like if they're gonna find a way to balance that out at some point because really they've made wcw look pretty weak i agree uh, so what did you think of the show overall? Um, I well, I thought it was a better show than than last week. To me, last week they were almost in like a holding pattern, right? Until Hogan showed up again. Yeah, we had that great. We had the cruiserweight match, and we had the Sting promo, mm-hmm. but nothing else from last week really stood out. Yeah, no, I thought that I thought the show, um, like I mentioned at the very beginning, the idea that like bo- both announcer duos did a good job of like uh of keeping the story going. Yeah. A lot just asking a lot of questions that I felt like were legitimate like uh, how many members are there going to be? Who's the next member? Is there a new member here today? Mm-hmm. All that stuff. I think works really well to make it a very compelling show up until the point when they actually show up. Um and I you know just like there's these moments that are still like kind of in, for WCW, pretty iconic, mm-hmm. and I think the the NWO over the WCW is a very memorable one. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I thought this went really well, and and I think there's, you know, I mean, obviously, you would assume that the Giants going to accept the challenge mm-hmm. for Hogwild, and right. that's going to be a really compelling match. Like this idea that I'm going to take the belt; it's not going to be your belt anymore. It's going to be our belt, right? Um, yeah, but uh, overall, I mean, I mean, there there were some crummy matches in here, but I felt like this is one of the better shows they had as far as like progressing the main storyline. I would agree with what you're saying about how they handle the big angle. Um, for me, it was a pretty shitty show just because there was a lot of wrestling, but it was mostly bad. Yeah, like there was a ton of of ten minute matches that just sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Benoit and Eddie, which was great. And you had the women's match, which was was good. 
and uh, the Dean Malenko match. Which so the the women's match and the Malenko match were two of the shortest matches on the show. Yeah, and they were two of the only three good matches on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a problem with just sort of the in ring aspect of the show. Although I thought the angles. Um, and the way the announcing supported those angles were generally very good. Yeah, I, I, that's all I was trying to say is that I felt like the main NWO angle played really well this week. But, I mean, the the, the lower angles, I mean, there's some stuff that's going on where it's like you can, you can see that Malenko and Benoit are going to kind of have this vicious match coming up. But, but uh, other than that, like you were mentioning, the idea that they just kind of throw out like, oh, they're going to have a match at Hogwild but you don't see like a confrontation or anything like that. Right. So a lot of the lower uh, matches and, and feuds, I don't feel like progress very well. I think the fire and ice thing is just kind of a mess because both the guys aren't the greatest at promos. Right. So, and, and, and then just like, Oh, by the way, Medusa is going to face bull Nakano in a destroy your bike match. Yeah. Which is just like, I guess sure. But like, who wants that now? I mean, I think it'll be a good match. Those are both. I mean, Bull Nakano's knees aren't great now, so we'll see what we can get out of her. But mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see as we as we head on uh, into Hog Wild. Now, in our Raw recap tonight, Ahmed Johnson defeated Bart Gunn. Mark Miro defeated T.L. Hopper, the uh, <laughs> wrestling plumber. Yep. WWF champion Shawn Michaels defeated Billy Gunn. And then he and Ahmed were beat down by Camp Cornette until Psycho Sid returned and made the save. Ooh. As you recall, he is uh, taking the place of Ultimate Warrior, who is currently having oh. some issues with old Vincey McMahon. To say the least. In our ratings roundup, Raw came in with a 2.6, and Nitro came in with a 3.4, uh, with a 3.3 first hour and a 3.5 second hour, which actually makes hour two down a little bit mm-hmm. from the week before, because uh, the week before I think it was a 3.7. So it's a little surprising that with Hogan on the show, they dropped a bit. Although last week was, I'm sure, a lot of people tuning in to find out uh, who had been the third man at Bash at the Beach. Yeah. So maybe that kind of explains that. In wrestling news, there really is very little uh, to talk about. Uh, on July 16th, or or really very late tonight in, in kayfabe, uh, the Giant will retain his WCW heavyweight title on a New Japan Pro Wrestling card over Power Warrior, Kensuke Sasaki. Mm-hmm. Sting and the Great Muda will defeat the Road Warriors. Flair will defeat the Macho Man. And the following day, Flair would lose uh, his attempt to re- capture the IWGP championship uh, from, Shinye, from Shinya Hashimoto. The Giant and Sting faced off. I didn't see who won that. And Randy Savage defeated Jushin Thunder Liger. Huh. That'd be an interesting matchup to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At uh, the most recent tapings for Worldwide and other um, syndicated programming from WCW, yep. uh, there was the debut of a young man by the name of Chavo Guerrero Jr. Oh, okay. Uh, there is no change really to report in the Warrior WWF situation. They're both still kind of talking through lawyers and the press and yeah. no real movement yet. Uh, right now, Davy Boy Smith has been sent a five-year contract to his lawyer that he still hasn't signed. Uh, so he is negotiating with both groups, oh. um, but there's a little bit of a slowdown kind of because there was a uh, uh, this week there was a heart, um, a young, a young man. I think he was like Owen and Brett and Davy's nephew. Um, so one of Owen and Brett's sisters had a young son that died. I don't quite remember the cause, but he was like 13 or something like that. OK, um, so the heart family is kind of dealing with a little personal tragedy. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, no. <laughs> 
not a family that is strained uh, is a stranger to personal tragedies. It might have been newer then. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is their introduction <laughs> to the fun of personal tragedies. Uh, <laughs> and the last bit of wrestling news I have is that the one, two, three kid Sean Waltman was given his release from the WWF huh. and is now free uh, to see what else might be out there. I I wonder if he's. <laughs> So, Dave, uh, there's only one thing left to do, and that's find out who your MVP and match of the night, or segment of the night, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, are going to go to. So let's start with uh, segment of the night. What would you give it to? Uh, segment of the night, I I want to give specifically to the ending of Dean Lingo versus Billy Kidman. Ooh, okay. Um, I, I, I like the sequence of moves. I like the, like I said, the crispness of him and just the decisiveness of, like, I probably only need one of these moves, but I'm going to do four instead. Yeah. It just, I felt like did a good job of like making a statement for him, especially since he lost his championship last week. And more often than not, uh, lower guys are not usually given that opportunity to make a rebound the next week. Sure. Um, so I thought it was a really good way to make him look legitimate again. And, uh, and, and just, and just in general, I mean, even though that match was only like five minutes long, it's, it was very entertaining. I'm going to give mine to uh, a match, and that match would be Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit uh, on a show that did not have very much good wrestling. They certainly had some great wrestling, Mm -hmm. and I'm looking forward to seeing them face each other many, many times in various incarnations for the next several years. Mm -hmm. Uh, My MVP, I'm going to give to Hulk Hogan uh, for, you know, definitely coming in with a lot of the crowd convinced he was still a baby face, and he managed to dissuade them of that notion Uh, pretty handily Um, so I like that he's all in he's not like second guessing and like dropping little things to maybe keep him kind of popular with people Mm -hmm. no he is a heel and he wants you to boo him and throw shit at him and he does not care Um, so I think he's doing great with that I also think from a business sense it's just impressive the way that that Terry Belia um, saw WCW moving away from him he didn't have any more dates left on his contract uh, he was becoming a lesser player. Mm-hmm. The ratings were doing fine without him, thanks to the outsiders, uh, and things were just sort of getting away from him. And in one fell in one phone call to Eric Bischoff, he has made this show and this promotion one hundred percent about him. Yep, like he turned everything back into the focus on him. Mm-hmm. And as much as you can say that's like shitty and he's a dick and all and all that's true, but I'm just saying from like an objective business standpoint that's impressive as hell yeah he really read the tea leaves and knew exactly what to do to position himself uh in a it just as well as possible so uh my hat's off because it's it's pretty fucking impressive when you think about it yeah i i mean to say that he read the tea leaves i think is a little bit generous for the fact that like there was so much indecisiveness and how much they had to convince him sure how like his lawyer slept on his couch or whatever Uh, that story was they, they both stayed at Kevin Sullivan's house, the so, lawyer and Hogan. Yeah. So, I mean, the tea leaves read the clear message, but they had to translate it for him a few sure. times. But, <laughs> That's fair. But, no, I, I I totally agree on the idea that, like, Hogan was just going to be kind of a liability at that point because it's like, well, I mean, he can't really be the top guy because people don't want to cheer him. Right. And then they realize that because Bischoff was the one that originally had the idea of turning him heel. And I think, didn't he present that to him pretty early, too? Yeah, it was at the beginning of the year, 96. Yeah. He, um, he brought it to him and got, like, shown the door 
by Hogan. And they had sort of tried to to get Hogan to think about it with the shit he did last year where he was wearing the all black. Yeah. Um, but Hogan, you know, pretty quickly wanted out of that too. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in just a segue, like I was going to give my MVP to Hogan as well. Um, especially given that like, uh, bash of the beach, I felt like he gave the promo of his career. Yeah. I agreed. don't think, I don't think there really is any other promo that stands up to that one for him. Yep. And to come back and to also give a good heel promo that that uh, didn't exactly say the same things too, I think is impressive for Hogan, and and I, and I like the the part where he was just like over the top arrogant right. about there's like the one truth in wrestling is that he's the best wrestler that ever lived. <laughs> yeah, you know, just these absurd claims. It seemed like the natural progression would be him trying to get the championship. Right. I mean that. To me, that seemed like kind of a an obvious direction, but yeah, it seems like it seems like the two things they're going with, uh, or I guess three things, are first he wants to get the championship, then he he's slated for that match with Randy Savage at Halloween Havoc that mm-hmm. was promised like it's because of a deal they had with Little Caesars and like Slim Jim, right? So they actually started planting the seeds for that like a long fucking time ago. Yeah. Um so they're kind of, you know, and that's why he keeps bringing Macho up and why Macho was involved in that promo last week mm-hmm. just to keep it in the back of people's minds. Yeah. And then <laughs> one has to think that him and Sting are going to have to get involved at some point too because Sting is certainly the franchise for WCW. Yeah. He cut probably the best promo I've ever seen Sting give mm-hmm. uh, last week on Hogan. So that seems like, yeah, you're right. It seems like the Giant, then Savage, then Sting are sort of the things on Hogan's plate right now. Yep. All right. Well, uh, please, if you enjoy the show, go ahead and why don't you head on over to iTunes and write us a review. Uh, I just like reading them. I like (laughs) stroking my ego. I read the same eight reviews over and over again and tell myself that I am a good person, no matter what my therapist keeps telling me. Um (laughs) <laughs> and he is very insistent. Yeah, too. Also, give us a follow on Twitter. I love Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro, uh, Facebook, all that shit. And we will see you once again here soon where the big boys play 20 Years of Nitro. We are running out of time. We are running out of answers. And we are running out of observations here. Where the heck are they? Hogan, the Outsiders at all in legalese. <laughs>